Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. And today we're going to be discussing chapters 58 through 61, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that many. That many, lots. Lots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I guess for warning. <laughs> yeah, who's ready for some genocide? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! No. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. Everything's fine. Everything's fine, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. All of this is the definition of fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you look up fine in the dictionary, what you see is chapters 56, yes. 58 to 61 of Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> Flashbacks to a civil war is definitely fine. <laughs> <laughs> Flashbacks to a massacre, really. Yeah. This guy's this is a civil a, war. A civil war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, anyway, that's great. <laughs> so so great but before we get into all the uh uh depressing discussion just another reminder that you can send us questions for our next episode so if you're listening to this the day that this episode comes out saturday the third this is your last chance to send questions for our mid-series recap which we'll be we'll be recording shortly shortly after this comes out so mm-hmm. send us your questions yeah, approximately 20 hours yeah probably like 20 to 24 hours to, to send them <laughs> <laughs> and um, um i'll post on all our like social media and stuff like right before we start recording for any last minute questions so um so yeah so please send them we'll be discussing <laughs> it'll be great huh? after you post that we'll have probably have another hour before we actually get started. probably one to two <laughs> yeah. hours i'll post one to two this is the schedule no. <laughs> Yeah, you'll probably have another hour or so. And then, like, there'll be, you know, we'll, we'll record, uh, we have discussion for, like, an hour, and then we'll get to the questions. So there's a little fudge time is what I'm saying. But anyway, the point is, send your questions mm-hmm. shortly. You can tweet at us or um, send us a direct message on Twitter, which will probably be better. And our Twitter is Equivexpod. You can send us ask through our Tumblr, which is equivexpod.tumblr.com. You can go to our website, which is staytogethernetwork.com, and there's a form. Or you can send an email to equivexpod at gmail.com, and we'll get your questions, and then we'll answer them. We've gotten a couple questions already, so thanks to... People who've sent in their questions, looking forward to answering them a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how do I end this sentence? <laughs> It'll be a good time. Probably better than this time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say, is this the worst part of the series? And I was like, no, wait, don't answer. I don't want to know if there's something worse coming. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of good lessons. There's a lot of good I lessons, would... I think. Yeah. I would call it the bleakest part of the series. Yeah, worst yeah. worst is not a good way to. De- it's not a, yeah. a not a specific enough description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is bleak. Bleak is definitely a good way to describe it. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think there's like hopeful. Anyway, I, there's a yeah, lot of good nuggets um, from this. I think. Yeah, it's a valuable section of the story. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm very grateful that these chapters exist. Just yes. like, in a piece of media. Mm-hmm. Like yes, and. Things I feel like we need we need to read about bad things too, or things that are uncomfortable. That's the whole point mm-hmm. of having like literatures to explore yeah. mm-hmm. things that you don't you don't want to be in this situation. So mm-hmm. we get to um, think about these things and explore feelings about them in a safe place. So mm-hmm. um, it's like we we did the Civil War, so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> <The characters. laughs> Literally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
so anyway so that'll be good well well i mean maybe we should just like get into it but also mm-hmm. i'm sure we'll find a way to make jokes because we always do of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's so how we we, we hint all the horrible things in life mm-hmm. <laughs> okay mm-hmm. let's uh so yeah send your questions let's um maybe we should just get into mm-hmm. the chapter 58 yeah uh, so i'm actually going to start with a uh, quote from uh arakawa before we get into it mm. um you know she's got like a little sort of like from the author note at the start of uh, all the original volumes mm-hmm. and most of them are just little silly things i think i read her initial note about like how much she loves b movies <laughs> before we started on the the beginning of the first episode mm. oh that has a whole other meaning now <laughs> But it did like three B years movie? ago. Oh, like B, B <laughs> movie. Yeah. yeah. That's, the letter. that's what I thought you were talking about at first. I was like, no, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I love movies about bees. <laughs> I feel like the the meme, the meme culture of B movie would somehow appeal to Arakawa. Though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so most of them are little silly things. But she had a, uh, a rather affecting quote at the beginning of this uh, volume in the original because in the original uh this was one full volume it was just a straight up war volume <laughs> wow in researching this volume i interviewed veterans who had been at the front during world war ii i read countless books examined film footage and listened to many detailed and intense stories firsthand but the one comment that affected me the most came from a former soldier who lowered his gaze to the tabletop and said i never watch war movies hmm. so yeah that, that kind of tells you what you're in for when you open that volume <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So chapter 58 opens with a flashback to a fresh-faced young soldier Roy speaking to his alchemy master, a man who looks frankly terrifying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He looks kind of like a walking skeleton, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The master is less than thrilled with Roy's military ambitions, especially his goal of passing the state alchemist test. Apparently, you're still not ready to learn my flame alchemy, he says with a bitter smile. But sir... Have I not mastered all the fundamentals of alchemy that you've taught me? Roy protests. You have, and it was a waste to teach even the basics to someone who had stooped so low as to become a dog of the military. Roy tries to argue his point. Alchemists should work for the people, right? Master, I believe that working in the military will allow me to better help the public. Our nation is under constant threat from neighboring countries. In order to protect our citizens, it's urgent that we strengthen our military, and alchemy is... His master cuts him off. I'm tired of hearing that kind of rhetoric. Roy frowns. Master, with your vast knowledge, it would be simple for you to obtain a state alchemist license. Honestly, I can hardly bear to see someone of your stature living in such squalor. If you obtained the state license, you would have access to grants that would take your research to new heights. You could... There's no need for that, his master interrupts. I completed my research years ago. My technique is the greatest and most powerful form of alchemy. But in the wrong hands, it would bring nothing but ill fortune. He looks up, a faraway look in his eyes. Unfortunately, I became complacent. Alchemists are creatures who must search for the truth as long as they live. When alchemists cease to think, they die. He smiles humorously. That's why I am a man who died long ago. Roy tells him not to say that. I beg you, Master, let your powers be used for future good. The Master coughs quietly. Power. Do you desire power, Roy? He coughs again, more violently, and blood spurts from his mouth. He collapses forward, head hitting the desk as Roy cries out in alarm. While Roy rushes forward to try and help, his master continues speaking weakly. I wanted to make sure that you were ready with my own eyes. 
before passing it on to you. What a pity. I have no more time left to teach you. All the notes from my research are held by my daughter. If you promise to use your alchemy with the right intentions, she will let you have them all. The blood continues to pour from his mouth, dripping onto the floor. Roy cries out, Get a hold of yourself, master! But the man seems to be speaking to someone else now. I'm sorry. I was too absorbed in my research to do anything for you. I'm sorry, Riza. Master! Master Hawkeye! Roy shouts desperately. He tries to pull his master to his feet, throwing the man's arm over his shoulders and heading for the door, while his master weakly begs Roy to look after his daughter. Someone call a doctor! Is anyone here? Roy calls out. He catches sight of someone at the door, a familiar young woman, looking terrified. Riza, Roy shouts. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> in the present, Riza opens the door to her apartment and watches as Black Hayate eagerly bowls Ed over in the hallway. I like how Ed's face Yeah, is yeah. That's, what, that's why I laughed when he started reading it before. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the tiny paws covering Ed's entire face. Yes. <laughs> she apologizes and brings Hayate to heal, but Ed waves it off, saying that it happens to him a lot. <laughs> Hayate looks a little bit upset about it, too, which is funny. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, a little, like, side question and answer thing Arakawa did, and it asked, like, if the cast were, like, dog lovers or cat lovers, and she, like, split them into that. But for Ed, she said he's dog-loved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That seems to be the case. Yeah. As he gets up, he notices the piles of boxes in Reza's apartment and asks if she's moving. No, I just haven't had time to unpack since arriving in Central, she says with a sigh. Guess we'll have to stay like this a bit longer. The colonel told me that you've been assigned to serve as the Fuhrer's personal aide. Is that true? Ed asks. She says that it is, with a resigned smile. Then adds, I heard about your situation, too, and what they said about Winry. Ed looks down, deeply troubled. But before he can say anything, a neighbor comes tottering by, humming drunkenly. We shouldn't discuss this in the hallway, Risa says, and invites him in for some tea. Inside, Ed sips at his tea while Risa examines the gun he returned. She notes that it's caked in blood, which Ed apologizes for, and decides that she should clean it now. Ed watches as she sits down across from him and gets to work, and he eventually says, The gun. I fired a few shots, but I didn't shoot anyone. Good, Risa says. I'm glad you came back safe without having to shoot anyone, Edward. Ed looks away. It wasn't that I didn't have to shoot anyone. More like I couldn't. I just couldn't pull the trigger, even when my friends were in danger. Riza looks up, watching his expression as he continues. Working for the military, I've grown used to the sight of guns. I was sure that one day I'd have to use one. But when that time came, I just couldn't fire. I'm pathetic. My lack of resolve is always causing trouble for the people around me. Did something happen? Riza asks, continuing to clean the gun. Ed hesitates, but decides to tell the story. You know Scar? It turns out he's the one who killed Winry's parents. When Winry pointed the gun at Scar, this feeling came over me. I felt in my heart that it was wrong. Suddenly, the gun seemed like a really terrible object. The next thing I knew, I was standing in front of Scar, begging Winry to lower the gun. He looks down, staring at his reflection in the mug of tea. I've never seen her cry so hard before. I'm sure she hated Scar enough to want to kill him. You know how Winry is, always so upbeat. It's easy to forget about the pain and the loss that she lives with. That's why Al and I promised her that we wouldn't die no matter what. But this time, a lot went down. In the end, we made it back alive, but things could have easily gone the other way. More loss, more tears. I really am pathetic. I worry everyone. I can't take care of myself. 
Who knows what would have happened if Ling hadn't saved me. You only have the luxury to worry about these things because you're still in one piece, Risa says calmly. No matter how difficult things get, no matter how foolish you look struggling under the weight of your burdens, you have to keep living for the people you love. You have to protect her. Huh? Ed says, taking a well-timed drink of tea. You love Winry, don't you? Ed promptly spit-takes his tea all over poor Hayate, then, <laughs> blushing deep red, rapidly stutters out that she's just a childhood friend. We're like family, so of course I have to protect her. <laughs> Risa seems to find this reaction entertaining, but she keeps that thought to herself. <laughs> Once Ed has settled down, she says, I'm sorry, I didn't know about the situation with Winry and Scar. It seems this gun only added to your burdens. Ed watches as she reassembles the now-cleaned gun, marveling at how fast she works. Lieutenant, hasn't it ever been a burden to you? Riza says that she doesn't have the right to complain anymore. Because in the past, I took many people's lives, and I'm the one who chose this path in the first place. People's lives? Do you mean Anishval? Yes, Riza says simply. Ed takes another sip of tea, looking thoughtful. After a moment, he carefully asks, can you tell me about Ishval? I've asked the colonel about it, but he won't tell me a thing. Nothing about Winry's parents, about Scar, or about the shooting of the child that triggered the Civil War. There are so many things I know nothing about. My ignorance is astounding. She says nothing at first, finishing with the gun assembly. Then, I can only speak from my own experience there. I was still in the academy when I first became involved in the Ishval and extermination campaign. Cadets are sent to the battlefield during their final year for on-site training. I was ostensibly deployed to Ishval because my school was in the eastern region, but the main reason was the troop shortage. They took anyone they could get. After that, I was dragged deeper and deeper into the war zone. As she speaks, we see a glimpse of several of the others who suffered through the war. Armstrong, Knox, Roy, Marco, and Scar. Ishval is a harsh place with nothing but rocks and sand, she continues. It's not surprising that such an environment gave birth to a religion with a severe code of conduct, or that their people became so resilient. And from there, we enter fully into the flashback. We begin in Ishval before the worst escalation of the war, many of its people still living in relative peace. Scar, younger and unscarred. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to call him Scar this whole time. But <laughs> I know, but we still don't yeah. know his name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's also a nice transition from like him in the present to him in the past. Like yeah. those little panels. Yeah. Scar, younger and unscarred, wearing the robes and sash we've seen on other Ishvalan refugees, walks through his town. He passes a bustling marketplace, a temple where his master is teaching, and stops in front of a small building. Brother, are you in there? He calls, pushing back the curtain over the entrance and stepping inside. His brother sits with several other men, all looking through a collection of books and scrolls. Scar scowls. Not again. Alchemy. His brother gives a sheepish smile. Uh-oh, my little brother found me. But Scar is unamused. How can you waste your time with such foolishness at a time like this? It's not foolishness. Look at this. His brother holds up one of the books. It's alchemy from Shin, a great empire to the east. Although they don't call it alchemy, they say purification arts. He enthuses about how he ordered them from an eastern trading company a while back, even as Scar tries to interrupt and says that translating them completely will take some time, but I can already see major differences from how alchemists in this country... Brother, Scar snaps, this has to stop. Changing the original form of an object is a crime against Ishvala, God, and the creator of all things, his brother finishes impatiently. 
I mean no offense to Ishvala. I'm merely studying alchemy as a means of bringing joy into the lives of our people. The world is constantly moving and changing. By clinging to the old customs, we'll only be left behind. We have to be open to new ideas so we can work with other nations. Like how we allied ourselves with the Mestris, Scar shouts. What did they do for us? They shot an innocent child and started the civil war. His brother tries to argue. Mestris respected our religion. They neither interfered nor tried to suppress it. They accepted the existence of the god Ishvala. Of course they did. The easiest way for the majority to keep the minority pacified is to acknowledge their religion. That's not respect, it's politics. One of the other men steps in between the brothers, telling them to calm down. Scar glares, but quiets his voice some. And now you're practicing alchemy on top of all that? Older brother, how can you be so? His brother smiles sadly and returns his attention to his book. You'll probably just scold me again for saying this, but this really is worth studying. Sheen alchemy is based firmly in its people's belief in a power within the earth called the dragon's pulse. They describe it as a great energy force that flows through all parts of the earth. Don't you think it sounds similar to our belief in the earth god Ishvala? Scar still frowns, but he doesn't try to argue now. His brother looks to all the texts around them and continues. What a fascinating link. We should take what fate has brought us and study it further. Perhaps then we can better understand each other. One is all and all is one. It means that we are each only a small part within the flow of the world. All the tiny parts come together to form the great flow, which is the world. So if negative feelings pervade the world, then the flow of the world will become negative. Conversely, it's also possible to gather positive feelings and make the flow of the world positive. That's my belief. He smiles. Only by understanding the great flow of the world can we hope to understand each other. That is why I'm studying alchemy. Scar leaves his brother to it and exits the building. He walks, away from the more crowded and lively parts of the town. He passes men talking about killing soldiers. He passes a cemetery and a family weeping over a fresh grave. He asks, in a world like this, do you really think there can be any understanding, brother? Elsewhere, an Ishvalan man with a badly injured leg smacks away a pitcher of water offered to him and shouts, What's this Amestrian scum doing here? My father was shot and killed by you bastards. I'd rather die than be treated by an Amestrian. An Amestrian man wearing a bloodied surgical gown calmly says, Be that as it may, I'm more than willing to give you treatment. Now put your leg out. Behind him, other Ishvalan patients are looking over at the commotion. Never, Amestrian. Get out of my country, the man spits. All right, just as soon as there are no more patients here, the doctor replies, still calm. Put your leg out. But the man isn't done yet. You think you're a saint because you patch up a few people while your bastard countrymen are out there murdering Ishvalans? You're a fraud. Call me whatever you like, the doctor says, finally raising his voice. It's better to be a fraud who does something than a good person who does nothing. I don't care what you think of me as long as you let me treat your wounds. Now let me look at that leg. There are a lot of injured people here. The longer you insist on being stubborn, the longer it will take for me to treat the others. The man glares and grits his teeth, but he lets the treatment begin. Outside the makeshift clinic, an Amestrian woman meets with a man delivering supplies and laments the small amount of medicine they've received. I'm sorry, Dr. Rockbell, the man says. There's a severe shortage of both doctors and medical equipment in the East right now. If we at least had a bit more anesthetic, we could perform proper surgeries, Sarah Rockbell says, as her husband steps out to check on the new supplies. Unfortunately, the delivery man has even more bad news for them. Doctors, please, you have to leave this place. The military is about to begin a great purge. I've heard rumors that they're planning to burn this place to ashes along with everyone in it. If you come now, I can help you escape. The doctors are shocked by this. Ishvalans are a different ethnic group, but they're still Amestrians, so why? 
but the man is sure it's going to happen, and he tries to urge the doctors to get out while they can. No one can say you didn't do everything you could for these people, right? The doctors refuse. I can't call it quits now, Yuri Rockbell says. After all, there are still so many patients, and none of them have the means to pay for a doctor. It makes no difference to me if I'm an Amestrian and they're fallen. As a doctor, I can't ignore the situation here. Sarah smiles and adds, and the military won't target this place if they know that Amestrians are here. They thank the man, who seems touched by their dedication, and send him on his way. As they watch the wagon roll away, Yuri gives a sheepish grin. Guess we're not getting a ride home now. Winry's not going to be happy with me. Sarah laughs softly. That's true. We promised her that we'd come right back. Yuri then wonders if maybe Sarah at least should have gone back, but she just says, What do you mean? If I told Winry and your mother that I left patients behind, they'd give me a real scolding. Yuri warns that it's going to get much more difficult now. They'll be understaffed and be getting fewer supplies. Sarah puts her hands on her hips confidently. I like difficult. We Rockbell women are renowned for our courage and tenacity. He laughs and says, That's true. From around the corner of the building, a pair of Ishvalan children have been watching them talk, a young girl and a boy who looks a couple years older. They both have visible injuries that have been bandaged. They step out into the open and shyly ask the doctors if there's anything they can help with. The doctors look surprised, then smile excitedly. Oh, yes, they say. Honey, let's have them make tourniquets for us. Oh, and could you help us wash the bandages? The kids look eager to assist. We see a brief, hopeful montage. The doctor's hard at work, people bringing food, and the patients happily eating. Equally hopeful thoughts are laid over the scene. We can do it. We can still try. We can still get along. The Civil War will be over soon enough. Unfortunately, in Central, military command has other thoughts. General Hakuro, remember him? <laughs> Way back at, like, chapter three? Actually, I don't remember him. <laughs> He's other, the guy who got... There's other characters here that I remember, but... yeah. Oh, was he the like, guy oh, who was that guy? He's the guy who got. Wait, he's the guy who got um, like kidnapped on the train. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Year, <laughs> and then was an asshole to Roy later on. Yeah, 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 a hard ass. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered. I think I used his Romanized name last time, and I changed it back to Hakuro because <laughs> they changed it to like Halcrow in the original. Oh, I was like, that actually makes sense because okay. that's a military name, but um, but they changed it back or forgot to change it, I guess. Whatever, he's only in this scene. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. General Hakuro and a few other officers discuss a recent bombing in Resinbul by the Ishvalans, apparently meant to interrupt supply chains. The wool produced there is used in military uniforms. Hakuro angrily asks how their agents could have even got so far in the region, and another officer enters with the report. There's something you should see, sir. Outside, Hakuro examines a shipment of weapons that was confiscated from an Ishvalan merchant. They're not made in Amestris, but Arugo, the country to the south, and with the Arugo military stamp scratched out. I see, Hakuro says. So they're supplying the Ishvalans with weapons in order to tire us out. He asked the other officer if he interrogated the merchant, and he says that he did, and the merchant confirmed having contact with the Rugo. Later on, military high command has gathered to deliver this report to the Fuhrer. I was wondering where they were getting the resources to drag this war out for seven years. Now we know. Arugo was backing them, one of the officers says. We cannot afford to let this war continue any longer. The Ishvalans specialize in guerrilla tactics. Their soldiers are intractable, their resolve unshakable. No matter how many troops we send, it still won't be enough. The Fuhrer calmly sips his tea. Well then, he says, first, let's clean up our immediate surroundings. What he means by this, apparently, is the immediate arrest of all Ishvalans serving in the Mestrian military. A group of Ishvalan soldiers, still in uniform, demand to know why they're being locked up. 
We've discovered evidence that Ishvalans within the military have been supplying the terrorists, an uncaring officer tells them. The Ishvalan soldiers protest. That's not true. You're lying. It's too late, the officer says coldly. Farewell, people of Ishval. Today, Fuhrer King Bradley signed Order Number 3066. The Ishvalan extermination campaign will commence operation. The civil war will soon come to an end. And we see the state alchemists preparing for their horrible task. It's the end of chapter 58. Is that only one chapter? Oh my god. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so much. Also, all these chapters are long. Yeah. Like, they're all, yeah. I feel like, longer than normal chapters. Like, mm -hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it also yeah. only gets worse from here, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 59 begins with an atrocity we've heard much about, but not yet seen. In the secret chamber beneath lab number five, Marco and his team of scientists, overseen by lust in the shadows, force boundish fallens onto the transmutation circle and activate it. The victims writhe and scream in pain as the energy thrums through the circle. Then they all slump over, lifeless. On the pedestal in the center, the Philosopher's Stone forms. Marco retrieves it with a look of horrified awe. And at the front, the war rages on. A group of soldiers watch a wall of fire emerge from beyond a hill and note that they must have a state alchemist at work over there. Are they really human? One soldier comments. They're demons. Elsewhere, soldiers attack an Ishvalan town. The Ishvalan residents do their best to fight back and give others time to flee, but as they run, they find a massive wall of stone suddenly blocking their escape. Beyond the wall, Major Armstrong kneels, his fist to the ground as he finishes the transmutation. Soldiers close in to finish off the trapped Ishvalans, and as the gunshots and cries of pain and terror ring out, Armstrong leans against the wall, shaking, looking broken. When it's over, he trudges slowly through the aftermath, the sea of bodies. A sound startles him, and he whirls around quickly, taking up a fighting stance. But what he sees is no threat, just a young woman and her grandmother, who managed to survive the massacre by hiding behind debris. The young woman has tears running down her face, and she glares at Armstrong with hate in her eyes. Armstrong looks panicked, breathing hard, hands shaking. He reels back with his fist, crying out, and the women flinch. But he strikes the wall he made, shattering an opening into it. Flee, he commands. Hurry, just keep going east. Tell the other Ishvalans to flee as well. Don't face any soldiers. The women are shocked, but they hurry and take this chance for escape. When they are ways beyond the wall, they turn back for a moment to look at Armstrong. And when they start to continue on their way, an explosion suddenly engulfs them. Armstrong's eyes go wide, and he drops to his knees. That was a close call, Major Armstrong. Another soldier approaches. He holds out his hand, revealing a familiar tattoo on the palm. You allowed the enemy to escape. If someone else had seen that, you'd have been court-martialed for sure. Armstrong continues to shake as Kimberly leans down and offers his hand. Can you stand? He asks. On another battlefield, Amestrian soldiers are doing less well. Geez, these guys are tough, one complains as an injured soldier is dragged away behind them. One Ishvalan warrior equals ten of our men. Another soldier urgently calls for everyone to fall back. The flame alchemist is coming. If you don't want your asses lit on fire, hurry up and retreat, you slugs. Across the battlefield, the Ishvalan fighters have only a moment to wonder why the enemy stopped firing before a snap rings out and a column of flame consumes them. The survivors begin to panic. Those aren't from artillery shells. Is that the military's new weapon? They run, but the fire reaches them too. Roy Mustang, face expressionless, comes in to finish the job. A wounded Ishvalan hazily looks up and sees the transmutation circle on his glove as he prepares another ignition. 
an alchemist, the wounded man wheezes. So this is how your people use alchemy? It should be used for the people, is all he manages before the fire engulfs him. Hughes and another soldier watch our future spinny scar victim, Komachi, get carried <laughs> off to the medical tents. <laughs> He's just as cantankerous back then as he was in the, in the future when we saw him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get carried off to the medical tents, spitting venom about the Ishvalans that injured him. And Hughes remarks that if he has the energy to yell like that, he'll probably be fine. <laughs> I'm glad for him, he adds. Now they'll let him go home. The other soldier asks if the old man really is a state alchemist, and Tonk again turns to how terrifying and inhuman they seem, though Hughes doesn't join in on the conversation. As the others chat, Hughes spots Roy walking by and calls out to him, getting up and running over to catch him. They greet each other happily and discuss their respective advancement in the military, with Roy mentioning that he's technically a major as a state alchemist, but he really only has the authority of a captain. Hughes laughs and says, then we're the same rank. You became a captain? When? Roy asks. He strips off his gloves and leans over a water basin to wash his face as Hughes answers. Just now, officers like infantry are dying in droves, so if you get even one commendation... He trails off as he watches Roy dry his face. The look in your eyes has changed. Roy looks up at him, then back down at his reflection in the water. Your eyes have changed too, he says. They're the eyes of a murderer. Hughes smiles without humor, lowering his chin so the reflective glare moves off his glasses, revealing the same haunted look that Roy has. Uh-huh, he agrees. They walk together across the camp, reminiscing about their idealistic days back at the academy. Yeah, I remember, Roy says. We talk about our beautiful future. Hughes looks down the hill to where soldiers are unloading corpses from a wagon. Look at that. None of this was part of the future we hoped for. They keep walking, and he asks Roy what he thinks of life on the front. We fire the cannons to drive them back, hem them in with alchemy, and then burn them to ash. The rest are hunted down one by one and shot. Then it's regroup, move on, repeat. Hughes wonders if they plan to continue until every last Ishvalan is dead, and Roy comments that it seems excessive for just suppressing a rebellion. I've been wondering the same thing, Hughes says. Ishval has no significant natural resources, little usable land. Don't you think it's an awfully big gamble, investing all these armaments to stabilize the eastern region, when it's presently touch and go in both the south and the west? I don't get it. Is there something valuable here that we don't know about? They speculate for a little bit longer, before another soldier runs up to deliver a letter that arrived for Hughes. Hughes gets very excited, and Roy asks what it is. It's my beautiful future, he declares happily, holding the envelope up. Gracia, Roy reads. Your woman? Yep, back at Central. She's waiting for me to come back. He then suddenly gets worried. Ah, what am I going to do if some other guy is trying to edge in on her? Nah, there's no way Gracia would cheat on a good-looking guy like me. But a beautiful girl like her must have every guy in Central asking her out. No, no, no. <laughs> Roy sighs. Hughes, one word of advice. It happens in movies and novels all the time. Soldiers who go on and on about their families and loved ones have a high probability of getting killed. So just stop right there. Oh, too Ouch. soon. Yeah. <laughs> Hughes stops. <laughs> He asks Roy if he has anything happy to share instead. Behind them, from beneath a pile of rubble and corpses, a furious and bleeding-ish fallen man emerges with a knife and lunges toward Roy and Hughes. Caught off guard, they fumble, too slow for their weapons. A shot rings out. The man with the knife drops, dead. Roy throws himself behind cover, unsure where the gunshot came from, but Hughes relaxes. Everything's fine, Roy, he says. We have the hawk's eyes on our side. He gestures toward a window in a high tower overlooking the camp. 
A real ace sharpshooter who's been causing quite a stir in my circle of friends, he adds. She's still in the academy, but because she's so skilled, they brought her to the front. Huh, Roy says. If they had to drag a kid like that out here, then the end must be near. And up in her sniper's perch, Reza's eyes widen as she catches sight of Roy in her scope. A little later, back at the camp, Hughes finds this ace sharpshooter and brings Roy over to say hi. But of course, they already know each other. It's nice to see you again, Mr. Mustang, Reza says, as he gapes at her in shock. Or perhaps I should address you as Major Mustang now. Do you remember me? Roy looks sorrowful as he takes her in. How could I forget, he answers softly. And to himself, he thinks, this is terrible. Even her eyes have become those of a murderer. Elsewhere, in a makeshift command building near the front, Marco solemnly presents the results of his research. The officers are eager to see it. Oh, the Philosopher's Stone. It's amazing. Good work, Dr. Marco. One of them claps Marco on the shoulder, and he seems briefly cheered by the praise. But that doesn't last long. With this in our possession, the extermination campaign will end quickly. We're counting on you, Major Kimbley. Marco looks over, and Kimbley politely introduces himself. I'm the Crimson Lotus Alchemist. It's a pleasure to meet you, Doctor. Outside, Marco walks through the camp, numb. He stops and looks down at his hands, beginning to shake. He bites his lip and clutches at his face. What's wrong? asks a voice from nearby. Marco slowly pulls his hand away from his face. He sees Dr. Knox sitting on a piece of rubble and smoking a cigarette. You're Dr. Marco from Central, right? I've seen you around. Marco asks who he is, and Knox introduces himself, and then adds, Welcome to Ishval. Are you a military surgeon? Marco asks. I was until a little while ago. Marco starts to ask what he means by that, but he's cut off by the screams of agony that suddenly echo out of a nearby building. What's that? Knox stares straight ahead. They're gathering data on the effects of burns and pain on the human body by using Ishvalans as test subjects. Human experimentation? Here? You're a doctor and they're making you do such a thing? Marco rubs at his eyes. A doctor, he mutters. That's right, I am a doctor, aren't I? Did you hear? Apparently there's an Amestrian doctor couple in the Conda region who are still giving medical aid to Ishvalans. What? Marco says. How foolish. That's suicidal. Foolish, you say? That's a matter of perspective. On the one hand, you have doctors who kill people to follow orders. Then you have this couple who side with the weak and powerless to save lives. Knox flicks ash from the end of his cigarette. Tell me, Dr. Marco. I'm a doctor, so why am I killing people? Marco has no response to that. Back at Roy's camp, he and Risa have walked off to have a conversation in private. I was afraid of my father, Risa says. He looked like a man possessed when he was doing his research. But I still believe my father's words, that this great power was something that could be used to bring happiness to many people. She looks down at her hands. That's what I believed. I thought alchemy was something that could grant people their dreams, and that the military existed to protect the future of this country. Please tell me, Major, why are we killing citizens when we as soldiers should be responsible for protecting them? Why is alchemy being used to kill when it's supposed to help people? She looks up at Roy, her expression miserable, but he has no answer for her. And in Scar's village, his brother continues his research. What is this? He thinks, examining a parchment by lamplight. Why do I feel that something isn't right? His expression grows alarmed. There's something strange about this country's alchemy. And that wraps up 59. We're halfway through. Halfway there. <laughs> 
This one is rough. It just gets like worse and worse in those all those last scenes. <laughs> I, was gonna say, like, I don't think that. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think it's getting better this time either. Yeah, like it really kind of gets better at the end of like sixty one. But mm -hmm. yeah, just as I was reading that, it's like, oh, here's uh, Roy and Risa and all their stuff. And here's Marco and Hawks, and, and we're <laughs> back to Roy better. and Risa. Yeah. It's all yeah. terrible. <laughs> Well, and it's like, and Scar's brother, and we know what's about to happen to him. So. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 60 opens with a flashback within the flashback. <laughs> <laughs> to Roy and Risa after her father's funeral. She apologizes for having to rely on his help for the arrangements, and he assures her that it wasn't a problem. He was my mentor. It was the least I could do. He then asks Risa if she has any other family, and she shakes her head. Her mother died a long time ago, and both her parents were estranged from their families, so she never knew any other relatives. You know, like Grumman. <laughs> right. I was going to say, didn't you say earlier that her, that, yeah, Grumman is her grandfather or whatever? Yeah. But she must know him. No. Yeah, I don't, I think it, it's unclear if they, if she's aware in the present. But I think at this point, like in the past, she didn't know because her families Maybe. were, her family was estranged from the rest of their families. I guess so. Mm -hmm. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's relevant to this part of the story, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. But they made sure she received a good education, so she'll find a way to get by. Roy hands her a card, telling her to contact him at Military HQ if she ever needs anything. I'll most likely stay in the military for the rest of my life, he adds. For the rest of your life, she says. Please don't get killed. <laughs> Roy nervously tells her not to jinx him, then says that that's not something he can promise. In this profession, you never know when you'll wind up dead in a ditch somewhere, like a piece of garbage. But if I can strengthen the foundation of this country and protect its people with my own hands, that would make me happy. That's the reason I studied alchemy. But in the end, my master didn't teach me his secrets. He cuts himself off, embarrassed, and rubs at the back of his neck. Sorry, I must be boring you with my naive dreams. Not at all, Risa says, smiling gently. I think it's a wonderful dream. She's silent for a moment, then says, My father didn't take his secrets to the grave. He told me that he hid them in a code that's indecipherable to the average alchemist. Roy is intrigued. So the master wrote down his secrets after all. No, not on paper anyway, Riza says. He said he couldn't risk the destruction of his life's work or have it fall into the wrong hands. So how did he record his legacy? Riza looks down. Mr. Mustang, that dream. Can I trust you with my back so that I can help make it come true? Can I truly believe that there will be a future in which everyone can live happily? And as she bows her head, the edge of her tattoo is just visible above the collar of her jacket. Back to the battlefield, Henrisa says, There was a time when I believed that. Why have we fallen this low? The next page is a negative image spread of the horrors of war, all the death and destruction and trauma, and a glimpse of envy laughing with terrible delight. And over it all comes an answer. Why? because that's the duty of a state alchemist. Why are soldiers who should be protecting the populace killing them instead? Because those are the orders we were given. The one speaking turns out to be Kimberly, sitting with a group of soldiers that includes Roy, Riza, and Hughes. Aren't I right? He says. Are you telling me to rationalize this away? Roy asks. Kimberly seems puzzled by this. Can't you just look at it as a job? He turns to the others. What about all of you? One soldier smiles uneasily and says that they wouldn't be discussing it if they could. Well then, how about you there, little lady? Kimberly points at Riza, looking exhausted with her rifle propped against her shoulder. You don't like your job. 
It's written all over your face. Riza looks down. That's true. I don't enjoy killing. Really? When you drop an enemy, can you tell me in all honesty that you don't, for a moment, indulge in the satisfaction and pride of a job well done, Miss Sharpshooter? Riza's eyes widen, but Roy interrupts before she has to answer, grabbing Kimberly by the collar and shouting, That's enough! Kimberly backs off of Riza, but he still has more to say. From my perspective, you lot are much harder to understand. Always looking for some way to rationalize your role on the battlefield? Is it evil to kill with alchemy? Is it more virtuous to kill with a gun? Or maybe you were prepared to kill one or two people, but not thousands. The soldiers all look around uncomfortably as he speaks. He points to his chest and continues. The moment you put on this uniform of your own free will, you knew something like this could be expected of you. If you don't like it, you shouldn't have put it on in the first place. Why do you act as though you're the victims when this was the path you chose? If you're going to pity yourselves, then you shouldn't have killed anyone. Roy looks furious, but he has nothing to say to this. Kimberly leans in close. Don't avert your eyes from death. Look straight ahead. Look squarely at the people you're killing. And don't forget them. Never forget them. Because they won't forget you. The duty bell rings in the distance, and Kimberly stands and calmly fixes his uniform. Oh, it's time. I need to get to work. The soldiers all begin to get up and shuffle off. As Hughes says goodbye and heads to his station, Roy stops him. Hughes, why do you fight? He asks. It's simple, Hughes says. I don't want to die. That's all. The reason is always simple, Roy. Later on, we finally see the full breakdown that led to Armstrong's removal from the battlefield. He cradles the child's body and shouts, Why must we continue to fight a war like this? But his commanding officer is entirely unsympathetic. That's enough. Get up, Armstrong, he snaps. You're a disgrace. This is a war zone. If you don't fight, your comrades will die. But Armstrong doesn't move. He hunches over, trembling, tears streaming down his face. The general looks disgusted, and he spins around to start barking orders at the other soldiers standing nearby. Forget this spineless fool. Call another state alchemist. The soldiers protest that it's not possible on such short notice. With all due respect, Brigadier General Fessler, outnumbered as we are, we don't have many options. And now with Major Armstrong out, maybe we should consider... We attack, the general shouts. We'll fight until the last man. Show those traitors the spirit of the Amestrian military. His subordinates, which includes Hughes, are unimpressed with this. They mutter amongst themselves. This arrogant fool. Does he think charging into certain death is noble? No, he just wants instant victory for himself. Apparently, Colonel Mosquito has already finished murdering all the people of the Gunja province and is moving on to his next target, so that's why he's getting impatient. I don't like this. He considers soldiers' pawns to be sacrificed. Colonel Mosquito is a great name, by the way. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he soon gets his requested backup, as a soldier announces that the Grand Squad has arrived. A massive man with a truly glorious mustache steps out onto the battlefield. <laughs> quickly assesses the bleak circumstances as the reason he was called in, and strides right up to the front line. I'll smash through their lines, he declares. The rest of you, follow behind me. One of the soldiers protests that someone of his rank shouldn't be risking himself by leading the charge, but he won't hear any of that. Silence, I am Boss Grand, the Iron Blood Alchemist. Iron and blood, military might and manpower. If I don't lead the attack, who will? He wears elaborate metal gauntlets etched with alchemical symbols and text, and he slams his fists together to begin his attack. His alchemy turns the material around him into an onslaught of metal weaponry, cannons and blades and flails all hurtling toward the enemy lines. His fellow soldiers are almost as surprised by this as these fallen warriors, but they all quickly fall into line behind him as support. 
Back at the base, General Fessler is extremely excited about all this speedy destruction and violence, much to the disgust of his subordinates. News comes in of units in other sectors requesting backup, and Fessler sneers at their uselessness and sends Hughes and his men out into the field. A long, bloody battle ensues, until suddenly, from the smoke and dust, a white flag appears, carried forward by a group of Ishwalans. Hughes recognizes the old man leading them. I don't believe it. You're Supreme Cleric Lo Glau. The cleric, who was thought to have fled into the Ishvalan wilderness long ago, says that he can't sit by and watch his people die senseless death. He wishes to speak to Fuhrer Bradley. I offer him my life in exchange for the lives of the surviving Ishvalans. I'm offering you the head of Lo Glau, the supreme cleric of Ishval. I trust you are not dissatisfied. I want my life to be the last one taken in this war. Hughes solemnly removes his cap and holds it to his chest. I understand, sir. I will communicate your wish to my superiors. Fessler, unsurprisingly, isn't really into it. Grand explains who Loglau is and why they stopped fighting and brought him forward, and Fessler basically throws a temper tantrum. <laughs> I don't care if it's his fallen in the flesh. My orders are to kill them all. Who told you to halt the battle? Go back to your stations. Take these as fallen pigs and shoot them. Attack. Hurry up and go capture all of the sectors, you slugs. But his soldiers don't move. What's the matter? Hurry up. That's an order. Brigadier General Fessler. An interesting statistic, Grand calmly cuts in. Did you know that half of all officer deaths on the battlefield are attributed to assassination by subordinates? Fessler doesn't even have time to mutter, what? Before Grand shoots him cleanly through the chest, he falls to the floor. The other soldiers shuffle awkwardly and look away. It was a stray bullet, Hughes says, and his comrade agrees. Yep, that's what I saw. Grand scratches his chin. Now that Brigadier General Fessler is dead, I have no choice but to assume command. Yes, that's the only course of action. Please take command, Colonel Grand. Grand very quickly orders Hughes to take the cleric to see Bradley and orders other men to see to the wounded. Loglau wonders if he should be thanking Grand, but he merely says, I need no thanks from you. I just pray that your negotiations with the Fuhrer go well. Spoilers, they don't. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Do elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> Bradley, who is straight up sitting on a throne in front of a massive Amestrian flag, rests his chin on his fist and says, So you'd like me to spare the lives of tens of thousands of Ishvalans in exchange for your life? How arrogant. Do you really think that your life is equal to tens of thousands of others? Spare me your conceit, you mere human. One person's life is worth only one life. Nothing more, nothing less. The soldiers in Ishvalans are both struck speechless. Bradley continues, There will be no exchange, and I will not stop the extermination. You've wasted enough of my time with this foolishness. Take them away. You're inhuman, the Ishvalans shout. God will strike you down for this. God, Bradley says. What a strange notion you hold to. If you're as important to this God as you believe, surely I'll be struck down for what I've done. He spreads his arms wide, as though inviting it. You Ishvalans are about to be wiped out. Well, why hasn't your God intervened? When and where will this God show up? I'd like to meet them. He drops his arms and scales deeply. What is God, anyway? Isn't your God just an idol created by those too weak to take responsibility for their own fates? Can a mere idol bring down me, King Bradley? How amusing. He settles back in his chair. Take them away. Treat them like any other Ishvalans. Captain Hughes, you will return to your post and continue the extermination under Colonel Grant's command, and with as few casualties on our side as possible. As the Ishvalans are dragged away, screaming their outrage and despair, Hughes quietly asks his fellow soldier what his religion is. He says that he's mostly agnostic right now. But in the future, if I were to choose a religion, I wouldn't pick Ishwala. 
Hughes agrees with a dark laugh. Who would want a religion that's been forsaken by its own god? The meeting settled. Bradley strides away. Yes, God is just a human invention. A fantasy for the weak-minded. It's the hand of man, not God, that we have to be wary of. At the border to Arugo, Ishvalan refugees push desperately against the gates, begging to be let in, but the border guards stoically ignore their pleas. Desperation turns to anger. They gave weapons to Ishval to combat the Amestrian military, yet when we need them most, they turn their backs on us. You think you can just use us and throw us away? Damn you, we'll never forget this humiliation. Even if the entire world turns its back on Ishval, we will survive, no matter what. At the Rockbells Clinic, patients keep pouring in, and they struggle to keep up. Sarah despairs over how many children there are. She wipes blood and sweat from her face as she works to revive a dying boy. This is too much, she grits out. I have a daughter about the same age. I won't let you die no matter what. And at home, little Winry sits, worried, while Ed and Al try to comfort her. A newspaper with a headline about the war sits on the table beside them. Back at the front, an officer explains the situation with the Rockbells in a private meeting with Kimberly. In the Conda region, an Amestrian doctor couple had been running a humanitarian hospital since the killing began. Kimberly seems genuinely impressed by this, but the officer says it's a thorn in his side, since they've ignored all requests to return home and are continuing to treat the Ishvalans. How nice. I like people who do as they will, Kimberly says, looking over the report. He notices the officer grumbling and asks if this is why his unit is being deployed out there. Yes, unfortunately, regulations require us to offer protection to humanitarian workers, even in enemy territory. Protecting them will be quite an expenditure on our part. It's truly a troublesome situation. But what if they should happen to meet with an unfortunate accident before we are able to rescue them? You see what I'm getting at, my little Crimson Lotus alchemist? Kimberly smiles. Perfectly. An accident. In Scar's hometown, he urges his brother to leave behind his research and flee with him as the Amestrian military is approaching. His brother, surrounded by all his papers, distractedly mutters that he's almost done. Scar stops short as he notices something. What's that tattoo on your arm? His brother stops and holds up his arms, both tattooed. Oh, this? The basics of alchemy are analysis, deconstruction, and reconstruction. The right arm deconstructs, and the left arm reconstructs. The tattoo on his right arm is extraordinarily familiar. He starts to explain further. I studied the alchemy from the east and applied it in my own way. But Scar cuts him off, angry. I don't care about that, he snaps, and starts to again say that the military is coming. But now he gets interrupted by a group of men asking him to stop. They move outside, leaving his brother to his work, and Scar demands to know why they stopped him. This research is sacrilege and goes against the will of God. But they insist that his research could be Ishval's salvation. Have you heard about the state alchemists? They're being deployed on the front lines and are using their power to ravage entire cities. I know, and now they're on the way to this city, Scar says. What does any of this have to do with my older brother? The other men share an eager look. Through his research, he could discover a power greater than the state alchemists, one great enough to defeat the Amestrian military, an unstoppable weapon. With alchemy, we'll finally be able to retaliate against those murderers. We will pay them back with blood. Their vengeful expression seemed to horrify Scar. See, brother, he thinks to himself, this alchemy that you're so devoted to, you may think it's a means to help people and bring them happiness, but no one else sees it that way. Before he can do any more, though, a violent explosion rocks the landscape. The Amestrian attack has begun. Overlooking the destruction, Kimberly smiles. Well then, he says, it's time to get to work. That ends chapter 60.
<laughs> it's just every time with Kimberly is just disgusting. Yeah, I was going to say he yeah. heavy sigh is the appropriate reaction. <laughs> <laughs> we have one more. Yep, almost through. <laughs> Actually, the uh, color sketch of Kimberly in the first part of the next chapter is very interesting. He's very darkly illustrated. Mm -hmm. Chapter 61 opens with Kimberly at his Kimberlyest. <laughs> <laughs> the din of battle that beautiful sound that shakes me to the core the spine dances and the eardrums quiver in bliss in this bloody war the noise never dies down for long it's a veritable symphony of destruction he puts the philosopher's stone between his teeth and stretches out his tattooed hands grinning with glee I love my job the explosion demolishes a huge swath of the Ishvalan city and the soldiers in Kimberly's unit are amazed and delighted Kimberly's a bit disappointed though it wasn't as artful as it could have been. He turns to his men. Attention, you're under my command. I expect nothing less than perfection. Don't let up. Follow their screams until the only sound left is a rapturous destruction. This weirds them out a little bit, but he swiftly orders them all to move on before any protests can be voiced. One soldier comes running up behind him, and Kimberly grabs him and yanks him in front, using him as a human shield against incoming retaliatory artillery from the Ishvalans. Will you men please pay attention, Kimberly admonishes, still holding the man's half-burnt corpse. It's your responsibility to protect me, and now look what's happened. My jacket got all dirty. <laughs> the men stare at him, stunned, but say nothing. Deeper into the city, the soldiers receive in more retaliation. Scar charges through a line of soldiers, taking them out with his bare hands, and he runs up to meet with his family, father, mother, and older brother. Is everyone all right? He calls out. They say that they are and start discussing what they should do. The attacking forces are heavier to the west, so they should probably flee east, but that's what everyone is doing, so they'll be a bigger target. And to top it all off, they have a state alchemist leading the attack. Scar frustratedly notes that he can take out many ordinary soldiers, but he can't do much against an alchemist. As the others continue to talk, Scar's brother takes him aside and tries to hand him one of his research notebooks. It was all I could bring with me, he says. Take it with you when you escape. Scar tries to protest, but his brother just shoves it into his robes. If anything happens to me, then all my research will have been in vain. Why don't you hold on to it yourself? He gives Scar a nervous smile. Let's be realistic. You're a highly skilled warrior. I'm just a bookworm. Who do you think is more likely to walk out of here alive? Look at me. Now that I've been thrown into battle, my legs won't stop shaking. Some role model I am. Big brother, Scar begins, but he doesn't get a chance to finish. Because Kimberly has appeared, standing on a nearby rooftop and looking down at them all with a pleased smirk. An Amestrian soldier, Scar stands protectively in front of his family as Kimberly holds out his arms, but his brother very quickly notices the tattoos on his palms. The transmutation circle, he shouts. He's a state alchemist? Kimberly puts his hands together, then down on the roof he's standing on, sending a cascade of explosions down the side of the building toward the Ishvalans standing below. They start to run, but Scar's brother notices that Scar is at the front of the onslaught, too close to get away. And he may not be a warrior, but he is a big brother. He throws himself in front of Scar, shouting, Get down! as Kimberly's attack bears down on them. Kimberly, for one, is extremely pleased by the aftermath, almost orgasmically so, as he literally trembles to behold his own destructive power while singing the praises of the Philosopher's Stone. Everyone else is, uh, less so. <laughs> Scar's brother, heavily injured and dripping blood, drags himself through the rubble to Scar's side. Scar's unconscious, bleeding from a wound on his head, and is missing most of his right arm. His brother tries to stop the flow of blood from the missing limb, but it's too much. He calls out desperately into the empty, lifeless scene. His arm! Where's my brother's arm? Father! Mother! Anyone! He reaches out, 
and stops, staring at his own arms. With a determined look, he puts his hands back to his brother's bleeding wound. Live, he says. You have to live. And the light of alchemy sparks around them. Sometime later, Scar slowly wakes up in the Rockbells clinic. The scene around him is slightly chaotic as everyone rushes to treat patients and help the ones capable of walking to flee from the region. But Scar's focus is slow to return. Big brother, he mumbles as he opens his eyes. He remembers the last moment before the blast. That's right, he protected me. Did he survive? Where am I? He catches a glimpse of a tattooed arm through half-closed eyes as Nishvalan in bloodstained clothing warns him not to move and reopen his wounds, and he feels a moment of relief. That's my brother's arm. Good, big brother is alive. But he soon realizes the truth. His brother's arm is his now, and his brother is nowhere to be seen. What is this? He screams, catching the attention of everyone in the clinic. Dr. Rockbell shouts for someone to give him a sedative, but one of the assisting Ishvalans tells him that there is none. It was used up on the last patient. Scar clutches at his face, incoherent screams escaping through gritted teeth. Memories flash through his mind, of attacking soldiers, of his brother getting injured, of the grinning alchemist who destroyed everything he loved. State alchemists, Amestrians, I'll never forgive them, he begins to mutter. Shaking with grief and rage, he reaches for a sharp surgical instrument lying on a table nearby. His focus narrows, and he targets the only Amestrians in sight. Someone calls out, Dr. Rockbell, but it catches their attention too late. Later, still shaking, dripping blood from reopened wounds, and clutching his brother's research notes in one hand, Scar drags himself to the top of a tall hill to survey his homeland. There's nothing but death and destruction all the way to the horizon. He drops to his knees and screams in despair. When Kimberly's team arrives, the clinic is empty of its patients. The soldiers search around, noting that the place could barely be called a hospital with how little equipment and medicine was there. One finds the doctor's bodies and calls Kimberly over. They were already dead when we arrived. The Ishvalans must have killed them, sir. The soldiers aren't too troubled by this. They were helping Ishvalans. What were they thinking? But Kimberly, as always, has another point of view. Defeating the enemy in battle is your duty as soldiers. Saving people's lives is the doctor's duty. These two stayed true to their calling. I admire such conviction. He reaches down and pulls out a scrap of paper sticking out of Yuri Rockbell's back pocket. It's a tattered family photo of the doctors and Winry in happier times. Too bad, Kimberly says. I would have liked to have seen their faces while they were still alive. Elsewhere, Roy's unit finishes clearing out another region. He approaches the last survivor, an old injured man sitting against a broken wall, his hand resting on his dog, also injured or dead. Old man, you're all that's left, Roy says. Do you have any last words? The old man smiles, looking up to meet Roy's eyes. I will never forgive you, is all he says. Roy frowns and ignites the flames. Later on at the military camp, news comes through. Every region of Ishval is under military control. It's over. The soldiers quickly spread the word amongst themselves like gossip. Hughes, exhausted, takes it in almost numbly. Oh, he says, I can finally go home. Elsewhere at the camp, a group of soldiers approach Roy with mugs and a bottle. Will you have a drink with us, sir? They pour the drinks around and introduce themselves, and Roy asks what squad they're all in. The men laugh. See, he's never even seen us before, one says cheerfully. Another explains, we're in your squad, Major, but we're so low-ranking that I don't blame you for not knowing who we are, sir. They also point out that one of them is a new recruit who only arrived a few days ago, so he definitely wouldn't recognize him. New recruits. 
Of course, so many died, Roy says quietly, looking down at the tin mug in his hand. How pathetic I am. We all fought side by side, yet I don't even know the names of the comrades who supported me. I hardly remember the names of my fallen subordinates, let alone anything about the Ishvalans whom I killed. One of the soldiers finishes off his drink and sets down the empty mug. Don't be so down on yourself, sir, he says. Maybe you didn't mingle with the enlisted men, but you never left us behind to save your own skin. When you led us into battle, you always used your flame attack to cut a path through the enemy ranks so that we soldiers wouldn't have to die. The only reason we survived was because the flame alchemist was there for us. You're a hero to us, sir, so please cheer up. The soldiers all pick up their things and stand to go again. They salute to Roy. Thanks to you, all these soldiers managed to survive. You have our gratitude, Major. Roy hesitates a moment before returning the salute. Everyone, thank you. I'm glad you survived. Roy watches as the camp gets packed up and soldiers in newly good cheer prepare to finally go home. This war destroyed my youthful ideals, he says. I swore to protect my country, but in reality it was all I could do to protect a handful of people. That soldier said I protected all of these soldiers, but they were just one squad. Just a handful of men in a sea of casualties. Hero, I'm a failure. Hughes, walking beside Roy as the men gather for the Fuhrer's address, tells him not to be so hard on himself. One person can only do so much. Anyway, on the battlefield, we're all just garbage, right? Everyone is expendable. That may be so, but even a piece of garbage has its pride, Roy says. If one person can only do so much, then I want to protect as many people as possible. Even if it's only a few, I want to protect those who matter to me. Those below me will in turn protect those below them. Human beings are weak, but they should be able to accomplish that much, at least. Hughes laughs. On and on, like generations of rats? That's a child's logic. You're such an idealist. But Roy is dead serious. Go ahead. Call me naive. You may say I'm an idealist, but unless someone chases after pipe dreams, nothing will change. Tell me about your dreams, Hughes, like you used to when we were in the Academy. When people stop speaking about their dreams, they cease to evolve as human beings. Hughes laughs again, but it's not so dismissive this time. Your words have changed, but deep down you're the same old dreamer you always were. Which means, in order to protect this entire country, you're going to have to climb to the top of the rat's nest. He points past Roy, and he turns to look, up to Fuhrer Bradley, standing high above them all. It must feel good to be up there, huh, Hughes? But I won't be able to climb to the top on my own. Of that, at least, I'm confident. Hughes elbows him, warning him with a laugh not to get cocky. But he grins, looking just as determined as Roy. What the heck? You have my support. Let's see how your naive idealism can change this country. This country created by King Bradley, a man who fears nothing, not even God. And standing over it all, Bradley himself has taken notice of the fierce stare now fixed on him. Hmm. Amid all the jubilation, there's one person who isn't intoxicated with victory. It's me he wants. No, he's already set his sights beyond me. I'll be watching you, Flame Alchemist. Elsewhere, a more private celebration is being held, as a group of officers salute Kimberly for his work. They ask him what he thought of wielding the Philosopher's Stone. Kimberly holds it up and looks on it with a smile. In a word, it's amazing. It allowed me to bypass equivalent exchange and conduct transmutations well beyond my expectations. The officers are pleased by this report, and one steps forward. Now, return the stone to me. It must be securely stored away. Kimberly considers... Then just straight up pops the stone in his mouth like a tic-tac and swallows. <laughs> <laughs> the officers are obviously shocked by this, and they start shouting for Kimberly to spit the stone back out. But Kimberly just smirks. And now, you are the only ones who know that I possess the Philosopher's Stone. He brings his hands together, and the officers have just enough time to call traitor before the explosion rocks the building.
Soldiers rush to the scene, but Kimberly doesn't even move to flee. He merely emerges from the smoke, stands and laughs as soldiers surround him. And watching from the shadows, Envy grins. Not bad, Crimson Lotus Alchemist. Back at the camp, the troops are all setting off for home, but Riza takes a moment to set up a small, simple grave off to the side. Rory walks up to her and says she'll be left behind, then asks if the grave is for a fallen comrade. No, sir, she says. It's for an Ishvalan child. His body was abandoned on the side of the road. Let's go home, Rory says. The war is over. But Riza stays where she is. Inside me, the war isn't over yet. No, it will never end as long as I live. It was my decision to trust you and pass my father's research on to you. I also made the decision to join the Academy in hopes of improving the lives of this country's people. As much as I regret what's happened, I can't escape the fact that my choices are what brought me here. I'm a killer, and no amount of denial or repentance can absolve me of that. She pauses, clenching her hands into shaking fists on her lap. I have a favor to ask of you, Mr. Mustang. My back. I want you to burn it beyond recognition. Rory immediately protests. What? I can never do such a thing. You have to, Risa insists. Her shoulders tremble. If I can't repent, the least I can do is prevent the creation of another flame alchemist. I want the secret that's written on my back to become illegible. She turns and looks up at him, clear-eyed and determined. It has to be done to remove the burden of my father's legacy and allow me, Risa Hawkeye, to be independent. I'm begging you. Roy still hesitates, but it's not something he can say no to. He holds his gloves in one hand, considering the transmutation circle that marks them. Since the war began, I've learned how to control the intensity of these flames, everything from incinerating a body to inflicting non-fatal burns on a minuscule area. How ironic. This war has made me much too accustomed to burning people. Arakawa thankfully spares us from having to see this happen, and we finally return home. And Roy gathers to him the team we know so well. Kane Fury, communications technology expert, takes good care of his subordinates. Vato Fallman, walking databank, possesses an almost frighteningly detailed memory, so information can be discreetly stored in him. Heyman's Breda, graduated at the top of his class from the academy. His relaxed manner belies his keen intellect, and he's a good team player. John Havoc, not the brightest soldier, but makes up for it with discipline and tenacity, a hard worker who leads by example. And of course, Riza Hawkeye, who reports to Roy's office with a sharp salute. Roy, frowning slightly, asks her. Roy, frowning slightly, asks her. Despite what you went through in Ishval, you still chose this path? Yes, sir. I made the decision to wear this uniform out of my own free will. He looks down to a paper in his hands and asks what her area of expertise is, and she very quickly answers, guns. Roy's eyes widen in surprise as she continues. I like guns, because they're not like swords and knives. The sense of death doesn't linger on the hands. He gives her an almost pitying look. That's just rationalization. Are you lying to yourself so that you may continue to soil your hands? Yes, sir. We soldiers should be the only ones with blood on our hands. No one else should have to go through what we did in Ishval. If the world can be expressed through equivalent exchange, as the alchemists claim, then for future generations to be happy, as payment, we must carry corpses on our backs across a river of blood. Roy considers for a moment, then closes his eyes as he comes to a decision. He stands up. I plan to make you my assistant, he says. I would like you to watch my back. Do you understand? Being entrusted with my back means that you may also shoot me in the back at any time. If I ever stray from the correct path, shoot me with your own hands. You have that right. Do you accept? Riza closes her own eyes. I do, sir. 
I will follow you into hell if you ask me. And over an image of the photo of his new team lying on his desk, Roy lays out his intentions. As an individual, I am powerless. That's why I need all of you to help me protect this nation. I will protect you. In turn, you will protect as many others as possible, no matter how few. Always look out for your subordinates, and those below you will in turn protect their subordinates. No matter what happens, stubbornly cling to your will to live. Live and help change this country. We end, fittingly enough, with Scar, stumbling wounded and directionless through his ruined homeland. My family, my comrades, even here in God's holy land, I have nothing left to protect. So what is this strength that keeps me going? His brother's research is tucked safely in his tattered robes, but it's his shaking hands that he looks down at. His teeth clench in rage, and he claws at the bandages covering his face, tearing them away and revealing his future namesake. Vengeance, he growls, continuing forward. For vengeance alone, I will survive. And that's where we end. Yay. Wow. <laughs> We made it through. <laughs> you did a good yeah. job. <laughs> Reading for nonstop for like 30, 45, maybe an hour. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I feel like it was so long ago that Ed went into his apartment <laughs> to drop off the gun. Right? <laughs> I mean, literally, I guess, in the sense of how long the summary was, but... <laughs> It just seems like so far away. When we started reading this again, I had just finished making notes like maybe like shortly before we started recording. And I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that setup, though, with all the. Uh, like people involved in Ishval, like you have Ed talking to Riza and then you have Scar and Marco and Knox talking to Al. So you mm -hmm. have like the setup for all these different perspectives on this flashback. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a great transition. Like, and oh, it yeah. started last episode. Like, it was the chapter before mm -hmm. this one. So we get really eased into it. And I kind of like that Riza is the one who leads off the story mm -hmm. with Ed. Mm -hmm. Does anybody else want Riza to give them life advice? Just asking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like how in the beginning she's like, oh, what happened? Like, when she's asked, when he talks about the gun and... I feel like Ed unloads a lot of his feelings onto her, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. I think Reese is one of those uh, people that people just tell their life stories to. It like, seems like that's, <laughs> yeah, it seems like that that's the case. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's she, she like, listens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like Ed, like, also kind of feels like almost like an equivalent exchange thing, like he's going to be asking her a lot. Mm. So. Mm. That yeah that's true mm -hmm. i wonder if he i mean he had the intention to return the gun but i guess it was just a good opportunity for them to have like a one-on-one -on -one conversation mm -hmm. and he specifically yeah, he was probably... like nobody ever tells me anything like roy won't tell me anything and mm -hmm. whatever yeah i feel like he didn't plan to ask about ishval until he got there but mm -hmm. yeah the opportunity presented itself i think mm -hmm. yeah i remember when we were talking about how like like back during the Hughes thing where it's like none of the adults want to tell him want to tell these kids about this because it's hard mm -hmm. and we and we were saying that like if anyone's going to tell them it should probably be Riza that doesn't happen <laughs> but yeah Riza should definitely be the one to yeah <laughs> to tell um, should definitely have been the one to tell them yes <laughs> and I think and Riza's like well I can only talk about this from my perspective and whatever so mm -hmm. yeah I mean we got to see everything in the third person perspective but yeah yeah 
I do think if anybody's going to tell them anything, it should be Risa. Also, I feel like Risa's the only one who could. Like, what's Roy going to say? So here's <laughs> yeah. the thing, though, is that she's not the only one. Dr. Knox is telling Al, I mean, maybe mm, not yeah. in as much detail, but he, he's there telling these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think Al probably has, he's getting something out of it as well. Yeah, and I think like, so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like Knox would be like the unexpectedly good one to tell them. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, you wouldn't that's... think he would be, but he probably is. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's gooey inside. Mm-hmm. He has a soft gooey center, as stated previously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> his um his little part in there, he's like, I'm a doctor, so why am I killing people? Yeah, it's really that's really lines where it's like I have to just shut the book and walk away for a second. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's several of those moments, but... Yes, mm-hmm. I think you did a good job reading the summary. There was parts where I was like, oh, this is really rough. Even this is like the second time reading it today, and it's still, like, mm-hmm. really emotional. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of them, especially because Marco looks so shaken up. Yeah. And basically every time Kimberly talks, it just makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He has some of my favorite lines in these chapters. He's so actually... Like- I mean, I think he's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing more of him in the story, actually. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like he's a horrible person, but he has his own, like, yeah, code of his, ethics that yeah. he seems to, like, yeah. genuinely he's, adhere to. He's like, they're just, like, mm-hmm. weird, but... <laughs> yeah. He mm-hmm. he does seem to have, like, kind of a strict sense of what he thinks is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, valuable qualities in a person and not, right? Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, I really wish I could have met the doctors. But mm-hmm. it's like, you were going yeah, like, there to kill them, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like he was... I'm sure he was 100% going to kill them, but yeah. his admiration for them also seems genuine. Yes, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything that he says is gen- seems genuine. I don't yeah, think like, he... I don't, yeah, I don't think he has a, like, bullshit bone in his body. No. He's just like... Yeah. <laughs> he's like, like, green, my policy is never to lie. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, on the one hand, it's like cool but on the other hand it's like but he's also crazy like yeah i <laughs> like i think it's the part where he's coming into the fight and he's like all right i expect nothing less than perfection and all the soldiers are like what like i i, yeah. I find that genuinely amusing but mm-hmm. it's so bizarre <laughs> and then, yeah i don't know it's it's interesting it's very interesting I'll say I really made this connection before, but he complains about like his jacket getting dirty. Yes. And then his next scene, he's taking it off. So it's yeah. like he's like he's like oh, I can't go into battle with a dirty jacket. Jackets. That's just rude. <laughs> super fastidious. Yeah. I feel like, like he's I super to... anal. Like I guess yeah. that's just part of his personality. Like it's interesting. <laughs> it does seem to always be wearing his like uh, cut off shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And like he's like, you got my jacket dirty, and they're all like mm-hmm. bleeding from the head, and it's like this yeah. is important. <laughs> and he was, I agree with your description. I think he was orgasmically satisfied by oh, yes. the yeah. explosion <laughs> that killed Scar's family. I guess that's like the supposed to be the first time that he used the philosopher's stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that could be. Yeah, it seems like because he definitely yeah. had the explodey powers right. before, but not mm-hmm. yeah. And he said that it wasn't as artistic as he was want he wanted it to be or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like, "Holy shit, <laughs> this thing is yeah. great!" Yeah, he says he like says like yes, and has like these trembly voice boxes, like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's like shaking. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's super creepy. I like how his, like, evil expression at the end, too, when he, like, kills off the generals and stuff that he's with. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, that was definitely their bad. They definitely shouldn't have given him the Philosopher's yeah. <laughs> Stone. <laughs> Literally anyone else would have been better. A better choice, probably. Mm-hmm. I guess they were like, Kimberly's crazy enough to do it. and then, yeah. But they didn't think Kimberly's also crazy enough to murder us. Yeah, it's like, I think they chose the right person to uh, kill an entire race, but... Uh... <laughs> I don't think they thought what would happen after that. No. Yeah. You know, my mom always says that people's strengths are also their their weaknesses. <laughs> Kimberly's like pros and cons list is like really good at explosions. Cons really, really good, good at explosions. explosions. <laughs> but he's an interesting character. And mm-hmm. I do Do you think that well, I don't know. I guess maybe they reveal later that maybe, maybe this is when they arrested him because that's my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Because he doesn't just like, standing around and yeah, he's just standing there like doing ability. his yeah. like evil villain laugh. And, yeah. And just killed a bunch of high-ranking military officers. Mm-hmm. So. And he is like crazy, so maybe that's why they call him the Mad Bomber or whatever. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah. Perhaps. But yeah, I like how like. Yeah. Yeah, he like he like has some points and makes them. Mm-hmm. And, I feel like like that conversation he has with Roy and Risa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like that like deeply affected them mm-hmm. in their like future oh, yeah. outlook. Like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, "Are you? Can you really say that?" I I always find the where he's um, he asks Risa like, "Are you really sure that you don't feel any pride when you take someone mm-hmm. out?" Mm-hmm. And like, with Roy, he's like. Or whatever, like, are you sure you can't see this as, like, a job or whatever? Like, it's very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. see this as just orders to be followed. Yeah. Yeah, how he kind of rejects the, like, I was just following orders, like, sort of excuse for mm-hmm. doing horrible things. And it's like, no, you made that choice. Like mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. you knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. And then his whole, like, like don't forget the people you kill. I mean, it's a good point. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, and he's like, yeah, they'll never forget you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting how Kimberly feel. It, I guess I feel like the thing about Kimberly, which we've joked about before, is like he he wants to blow shit up. Like he wanted mm-hmm. to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I think, and mm-hmm. so it's easy for him to be like, well, you made this choice or whatever, mm-hmm. and stop seeing yourselves as like victims when you're the ones who made this choice. Yeah, because he's like, I became a soldier because I 100% knew I was going to kill people. That <laughs> yeah, <sounds> exactly. great. <laughs> like, exactly. It's like, you all knew it was a possibility, but you were just like, la-di-da. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh, I just want to protect people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's intriguing. It's like, he's right. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Well, they called him the Mad Bomber that one time in the past, which I kind of thought mm-hmm. was like his name. But it wasn't his alchemy yeah. nickname. <laughs> the Mad Bomber alchemist. The Mad Bomber alchemist. <laughs> yeah. Well, it would be a deserved nickname. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or alias or whatever. Title. I don't know what you call it in this case. But... Yeah. I feel like if the Fury gave me that name, it would be like, first of all, rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kimberly would be like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I do like bombs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not crazy. I just have a very, very strict sense of my own personal value system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I really like bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they call his name, his his alchemist name is the Crimson Lotus Alchemist. Mm-hmm. And you asked me specifically about this, and which I thought was interesting. And it does just say Crimson Lotus, but then I googled Crimson Lotus, which is kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't really know anything about it. But there's a whole Wikipedia article about 
crimson lotus. So the word guden, which means it's a Japanese word for crimson colored lotus, um, which is his name is like guden no Denkenjutsushi or whatever. Jutsushi. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently that the color, uh, like the crimson colored uh, lotus is, is comparable to the color of a flame, a burning flame. So that makes sense. And then also there's some connection to like one of the Buddhist tells, which I don't understand at all. So I'm not even going to get into it, but, um, but yeah, it's it. So, I mean, so it's kind of interesting. So it has, I guess, multiple connotations, like in addition to just the flames of his explosion probably, but also mm-hmm. maybe potentially the great power and suffering that he can cause, you know, that's the way yeah, that I would interpret I it. Saying, yeah. It said it was called like the like crimson Lotus, like cold hell or something or something about like, yeah. It would, so it would cause like the flesh to like tear and form like the like image of the crimson lotus flames or something like that so like the, it's pretty grim yeah it's pretty grim <laughs> yeah. well i don't i don't know that much about buddhist hell but there's supposedly the hot hells the eight hot hells and the eight cold hells and in the eight cold mm-hmm. hells you suffer in coldness and whatever level it was that crimson lotus was it's like one of the eight it's like the sixth out of eight or something and it's it's like the the deeper down you go, the colder it gets or whatever. And so the suffering and coldness, it's so cold there that it causes your skin to crack and like become like the blood red color of the crimson lotus. So mm-hmm. great imagery. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I learned. But it's kind of interesting. There's a whole article. I found it interesting. There's a whole Wikipedia article about it. That's yeah. the kind of symbolism we're dealing with, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Yeah, seems to uh, fit our guy here. Yeah, I mean the the fear is pretty poetic with his choices, except for yeah. the flame alchemist, which is super straightforward. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, then you have like the full metal alchemist. Is... Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what Comanche's name was. I forget. Do you remember? Was he like the silver alchemist? Or uh, yeah, and then there was like mm-hmm. uh, the iron blood alchemist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some of them are kind of straightforward, but some of them are more like poetic. So like Kimberly's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ed's Full Metal Alchemist is kind of a mm-hmm. pun. We talked about it a long time ago on like Full Metal yeah. Jacket, so mm-hmm. it's a military pun. He's a dog in the military. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think Crim- Crimson Lotus is the most interesting out of all the ones we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe Kimberly made it up himself. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I have a suggestion, <laughs> <laughs> and Fear's like, sounds good to me, he's weirdo. Like, margins of his application <laughs> <laughs> dear fear bradley should you choose to accept me <laughs> kimberly seems to have an in i maybe because he's like crazy but he does seem to have an in with uh, on the plans and stuff like he was always like mm-hmm. you know in the like obviously they gave him the philosopher's stone so mm-hmm. yeah i feel like they like brought him in because they could tell that he would do it without any kind of like protest or guilt mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and, and his uh, perspective is that's just it. like a role. And regretted yeah. it, yeah, probably. <laughs> I imagine they regretted it pretty quickly. Yeah, for the split the ones, second they had. He was going to say died. the ones who <laughs> survived, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure even like, I mean, that there's no way that that order didn't come from Fear Bradley. So I'm sure he was like, mm-hmm. well, crap. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But I get, yeah, but then they, I guess they don't, they don't know that he has the Philosopher's Stone. I know. I mean, there was a scene of him Apparently in jail, yeah. where he just like coughs it back up and then swallows it or whatever. So, oh yeah, and Envy was there. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Related. Envy's <laughs> just like this is great. <laughs> One more person we can trust. 
I was like, oh, Kimberly can, the, um... can make a circle too. And then I forgot that he has tattoos. <laughs> I was really excited for a second. Yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't need a transportation like it... circle. I was like, no, no, he, he has the tattoos. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Envy's like, I came out here to attack people and I'm having such a great time right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love this war. <laughs> mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, that image of envy like laughing the black and white one or the yeah. the, the reverse oh, one yeah. Mm -hmm. image. yeah yeah it's really great and be laughing over all the all horrific the chaos mm -hmm. destruction of the war i yeah. think it's kind of nice because it's a reminder of uh, like we're seeing a bunch of the human kind of impact of the war but i think mm -hmm. it's a good little reminder that it's like this is all still part of the grand plan right yeah yeah like, there's also a scene where Hughes and Roy are talking, and they're like, I don't know why they're spending so much effort in, in Ishval mm -hmm. when we have all these other unstable borders, and, like, what's the resource? What kind of, what resource could they possibly be looking for here, and blah, 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 so. Mm -hmm. I assume the resource is people, you know, <laughs> so. It's oil, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's oil. <laughs> No, this isn't. This doesn't have any kind of real life <laughs> connection at all. What are you talking about? Or any kind of link to any kind of real world conflict in any way? Oh, speaking of um, real world uh, illusions, mm -hmm. uh, one thing I noticed while I was reading through is that the uh, the translation changed the order number of the ex of the uh, Ishval yeah. and extermination order. Um, the original was 3066, which is why I read it out that way. They changed it to 306. I don't know if that's just a typo or it's intentionally trying to censor it. Because I'm 90% certain it's meant to evoke Executive Order 9066, which mm -hmm. was the uh, order for the uh, Japanese internment camps mm -hmm. in America during World War II. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that that is like uh, something Arakawa would write. Because immediately mm -hmm. that's when, and like, yeah, that's immediately when they um, lock up the Ishvalans, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's 3066, then why they need to censor? Also, it shouldn't be censored. People need to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if it was anything else, I'd be like, oh, it's just a typo. But I was like, mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. but I don't know. It could just be a typo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But <laughs> well, yeah, just like uh, like Reed being lowered into a thing was a typo. Yeah, <laughs> Reed on a flat on a... surface was a typo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our car has also said that the um, continuing on with real world influences that the uh, like the conflict between the like Ishvalans and other Amestrians is somewhat influenced by. Uh, <clears throat> Her experience growing up in Hokkaido and being aware of the Ainu people, mm -hmm. who are the uh, native population in Japan, mm -hmm. who were, you know, heavily suppressed and, you know, killed and everything across the years. And one of the, like, big populations was native to Hokkaido, where mm -hmm. Arakawa grew up. And so she's talking about how she had an interview where she says, like, I grew up on land that was taken from these people, but I also have relatives that are like half I knew and stuff because of that kind of relationship of, you know, colonization that happens. Yeah, I believe that today, I was actually watching a video about about I knew people recently, and I believe like today there's only a handful of people who like claim to, or, you know, say on their like census or whatever that they're I knew, that their background is I knew, 
and also mm-hmm. speak the like Ainu language and stuff like that. So yeah, we've basically been like almost a hundred percent assimilated into Japanese society. Yeah, yeah. It was an inter- interesting real life connection, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to talk about the real life connection of like the Fuhrer literally sitting on a throne, like with a big mm-hmm. banner and shit, just like the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the like Nazi propaganda imagery. Yeah. It's very, very subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Even the way they're all standing at the. Um... The ceremony at the end, like below mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I was almost about to say castle, like the headquarters or whatever, yeah. where they're lined up in those like ranks like that is like very Nazi propaganda, um, <laughs> style. I mean, maybe they actually had rallies like that, but definitely if you look at like the, uh, if you've seen ever seen the propaganda videos and or watch Star Wars, which is based off of the yeah. same <laughs> propaganda yeah. videos, um, yeah, I feel like that's like classic like Nazi imagery too. <laughs> I mean, basically, I feel like all of the Mestres' military is kind of <laughs> classic, like, Nazi-influenced, yeah. um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, style and the structure of the buildings and, and the way they're drawn, like, in in uh, formation like that. Yeah. Yeah. The side note, I was talking to someone who, like, didn't realize that there was a, like, Nazi influence on the imagery in Star Wars. <laughs> I was like, they're called Stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> I think people know them as Stormtroopers from Star Wars and not from... Yeah. <laughs> studying history because i remember learned, reading that in school and i was like you mean like star wars when i like yeah. in my head when i read it <laughs> but i'm sure people older than us know that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're not they're not called the ss what are they what are dark vaders like um they have like an elite or like kylo ren's uh mm-hmm. soldiers have like an elite name i can't they're like the knights of ren yeah there's like a bunch of elite nazi soldier groups and stuff too so. mm-hmm yeah anyway <laughs> also the hyenas in lion king during be prepared when they're all marching in line oh yeah that's yes, true yes, yes. <laughs> i mean the nazis were good at propaganda yeah like it's straight a striking up. image <laughs> the and well even like i mean we studied like illustration posters and like they're all good <laughs> like they're mm-hmm. very very good <laughs> so, yeah anyway I mean, good in the artistic, in the uh, visual communication sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah the, the Nazi propaganda is much more striking. It's much more striking than the American propaganda from it, the same era. Yeah, <laughs> they have different influences and yeah, different visual styles. <laughs> anyway, if I may, any more real, any more real life influences? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I can think of offhand. You know, remember the, the uh, all those World War Two stories about homunculi. Yeah. The, well, actually, one there actually is a lot of um, <laughs> like supernatural stuff in the uh, like Nazi belief system. Yeah, I was actually about to say. Well, also like all the human experimentation that was definitely something that oh, Nazis yeah, yeah, yeah. did too, and are famous mm-hmm. for, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the scene with um, Marco and Knox, mm-hmm. like they were recruiting doctors to be like do all this awful human experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, at least specifically Nazi Germany. I don't know. I'm not sure about Japan, but I was just thinking while you were reading yeah. this, and I remembered that part that I don't really know that much about. Um, kind of like what was going on in Japan during World War Two. Some things I know. Yeah, I know Japan's had some pretty horrific. Uh, oh yeah, medical experimentation in their past. I don't know specifically if it was during World War Two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think everywhere has. <laughs> yeah, anywhere that. Yeah. Especially anywhere with a colonial past. Yes. A hundred percent. 
There's plenty of awful American experiments that continued into modern time until like creepily modern times. Yeah, yeah. like like the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway. But that that scene specifically reminded me of uh some stories from mm-hmm. uh specifically from Nazi Germany. Yeah. Yeah, because they had a very um like specifically it was like couched in the like disguise of being for medical research mm-hmm. a lot of their mm-hmm. horrible experiments. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's the same here. It's like let's just burn people and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Which is what it seemed like. Yeah. And it's like actually what's implied yeah. what never shown is like Roy, go burn these people. Yeah, cuz yeah. um back when we were like first meeting Knox, he was saying like you burn, the you burn them and I dissect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also Roy is like I learned how to control the flames. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and like the irony of that. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. Mhm. I mean the whole <laughs> thing is horrible, so. <laughs> but yeah. That scene specifically Oh, I have a question to thought about about the Philosopher's Stone. This is related to Marco. Sure. So when they're doing the human transmutation, they have all the people set up on the circle, the familiar lab that we've seen before. But who's actually doing the transmutation? Like, is it actually Marco? It's kind of, it's hard to tell from the actual imagery. Yeah, I don't know. Or was it all of them? Like all the doctor, all the researchers or whatever that were there? Like, he's definitely the one picking it up in the end, and obviously I feel like he was, like, orchestrating it because he feels very responsible, yeah. but yeah. I don't know if he was actually the one, like, actually putting his energy into the circle to, like, transmute it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like he probably was, but mm-hmm. it doesn't show it clearly on the page. It could have also been a group effort, right? Yeah. Isn't that a thing? That's not, you know, you have mm-hmm. multiple people yeah. working on the same transmutation. So it could have been that, too. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if it was, like, somehow done by, like, Father or somebody else involved. Lust is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Lust, we talked about how the monkey line never seemed to do alchemy, but... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was just wondering about the proximity. Also, it looks like the lab was always fucked up. There's, like, pipes, broken pipes and stuff everywhere, yeah. which I thought was really funny. <laughs> it looked like the lab was always sketchy. Obviously, the room where they were doing the transmutation was impeccably carved and ornately decorated and whatever, but there's, like, pipes sticking out everywhere and stuff, so it's kind of interesting. Probably um, so they could be like, oh, don't worry about that secret basement. It's just, it's just uh, for storage. Yeah, for storage. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just old and dangerous. Don't go down there. Yeah, don't go down there. Look at all these broken pipes. Yeah, maybe it's all part of the part of the ruse. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I just, it's not clear. I always assumed that it was Marco, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't, I guess is what I'm saying. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, he definitely seems the most shook up and he was obviously the yeah, lead and he say. had to bring it to the journals or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was his research. Bulk of the guilt. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the right, the, the, the research paper, like that, that was under his name. He wrote it. He led the research well the homunculi told him how to do it but he didn't yeah but i mean mm-hmm. still i think he had some he had some uh, responsibility for it yeah for sure yeah i mean i think they chose him for a reason mm-hmm. because he's a very skilled mm-hmm. alchemist mm-hmm. in the medical field mm-hmm. yeah or at least the biology field i don't know if he was specifically a doctor like medical doctor before mm-hmm. the war i was just laughing like he's making human chimeras obviously like yeah. like show tucker <laughs> Mm-hmm. Also, when I was reading that part, I remembered that they said that those scientists got turned into a philosopher's stone down uh-huh. the yes. to keep them quiet. So. Yeah. Well, maybe all, so maybe they were all in it on it. Maybe they were all like 
maybe they were all controlling the circle. I don't know. But mm. anyway, I was just curious about that because I noticed that while I was reading. Regardless, he definitely seems to feel like the he's the primary person who's responsible, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure well, out what to talk about next. With, I, know with so that, I had some, because like, you know, the, the, um, they use prisoners, um, for the, well, actually, I can't, it looks like they used the Shvalans here. Well, they were prisoners because of the executive order. Oh, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. What um, I assumed, cause it, because of the order it was shown, what I assumed is they rounded up all the Shvalan people serving in the, in the Mestrian military imprison them and then use them for the stone to make the mm -hmm. stones mm -hmm. so but it, i mean it could have been pow's but i mean i feel like they didn't have any prisoners i thought it seemed like they just killed all of the people who didn't escape yeah ishval so yeah yeah so that was mm -hmm. that and we know lab five was in central so mm -hmm. yeah where they yeah. rounded up all most likely the yeah ishvalans already living in in central in central or other nearby towns rather than in actual Ishwal. Mm -hmm. It did seem like, remember how we were talking about Resinbul one time, and we were like, how affected was it by the war? Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. sounded like there was some fighting in Resinbul. They yeah. said that there was like, it was bombed because this is where they have <laughs> sheeps for, for wool yeah. to make the military uniforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Ed said a couple of times that it was like, I think Ed and Panako both talk about it being like, affected by the war and Ed particularly mm -hmm. talks about how like the military didn't do anything to help afterward mm -hmm. yeah they said the train station was well what they said this time was the train station was bombed or whatever and that was the mm -hmm. that was the incident so yeah so it seems like there was a lot of fighting close to home for them yeah. so they could reasonably reasonably have lost their bodies in a war yeah. incident um when they talk the train about station <laughs> yeah when they talk about that right I don't know just something about it just didn't seem Right, because they're talking like you know, oh, they bombed Rizimbul. They the only reason I can think of is that they have they make the the military. They'll bomb mm -hmm. anything close. Like I don't know. At least when I read it, I wasn't sure if that was actually what happened. If there was more behind the scenes, that wasn't the actual reason. I don't know. Did you get that same impression that that? It seemed like it didn't really matter. Like it definitely seemed like it was probably like a small incident, but they're just kind of piling up excuses to continue with this you know to then turn this to a extermination campaign because mm -hmm. i think at that point it was still like oh we're just trying to stop the fighting mm -hmm. yeah. and it was a way for bradley to be like i think we should just kill them right yeah that's what it seemed like to me where it's okay. like mm -hmm. same with like um they, they were also at the same time they were talking about how they were being supplied with weapons from another yeah, neighboring yeah, yeah. area and like mm -hmm. it all just seemed like Kind of like yeah, the justification like... that Bradley was waiting. I assume like what, <laughs> or at least my my understanding or my uh, opinion is like, Bradley, they started all of this. I mean, obviously the homunculi started this and they needed this to happen so that they could get the people resources they needed to make philosopher stones and shit yeah. or whatever, you know? And so Envy started the war, started the, um, the fighting by killing the child. So probably Bradley's just waiting around for enough tension to build up to be like, we need to get rid of these people. Like... Mm -hmm. You yeah, know. I feel like like it could have been like a faked attack, but I also feel like yeah. they would have latched onto anything. So it, right, 
just as easily could be an actual attack that happened. And it could have like, just oh, been like one, you know, like three Ishval and people yeah. came yeah, and bombed a train around. station. Resimbul is pretty close to Ishval, so maybe it was just like where they could get to and like what they could do, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, I think it's like no matter how small, it obviously didn't impact the military at all. And no matter how small, I think they just kind of started using these attacks as excuses and yeah. yeah or, I mean, it's we're reading a lot into like two or three scenes. There <laughs> are two, like yeah, literally, yeah. like a page of panels. But I feel like yeah. it's that's kind of what I feel like mm-hmm. how they used it. So yeah, it doesn't seem like a big deal necessarily, but it was made into a big deal so that they could quote unquote justify the yeah. just the the all the extermination orders and whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like resting my head on my hand. It's like yeah, it makes yeah. me sad. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. I don't even know what I want to talk about next. <laughs> um, I can talk about Mustang for a bit. Sure. So, um, you know, the we started off with Mustang and his teacher. Yes. And I got a lot of similar vibes to Azumi teaching the kids about alchemy, mm-hmm. right? Like, alchemy is not just alchemy. It's a philosophy, I think, definitely, and, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, you understand the basics of philosophy, but you don't understand what it takes to become an alchemist, mm. right? Um, I, oh, someone else was talking about alchemy. I forgot to to mark who it was. Probably Scar's, Scar's brother. brother. Yeah, they were talking about alchemy and 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 comparing it to how you know it's their their the the parallels to their religion and how yeah, alchemy is. Brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he is, um, like outright uses the like. One is all, one's all and one all is one. Phrasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's just, I don't know, something that I've, I've, I've seen and thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem like Master Hawkeye had high standards. Yeah. yeah. Although he did tattoo all his research on, Jesus, on his daughter's back, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, he was, actually one thing I thought that was interesting that he said, I mean, he was really pissed off that Roy joined the military. Mm-hmm. And Roy's perspective was like, if I join the military, I feel like I can better help people, mm-hmm. which is the goal of alchemy, by joining the military. Yeah. And and uh, Master Hawkeye was like, I'm tired of that rhetoric. So I guess they've been trying to maybe build up this kind of like, um, like military state rhetoric for a while too. Obviously, it's all part of, I feel like, part of the plan to mm-hmm. use to develop the State Alchemist program and... You know, I'll orchestrate all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Azumi has similar feelings as well mm. when when she when Ed talks about it and like, yeah, I think well, so um, I guess you know the uh, a mistress has had a, it's a, I mean it's a military state. It's had mm-hmm. a lot of conflicts in the past, and so I think um, maybe these uh, masters know of the history and how it repeats itself and sort of expect like, yeah, it's military is there to protect people, but also look at all the things they've done already. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm Mm -hmm. sure it was probably wasn't that long ago before their, uh, their most recent war, um, before the Ishval. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, they say they're having conflicts on the West and South. Yeah. They're at the same time as Ishval. And I think they're still in conflict with, like the a Rugo, I think they said. Like, oh, I forget. I think they said they're like they have like a 
like uneasy stalemate with the North. But I think right. like I think when Hughes was doing his whole like like there's something going on with this country thing mm-hmm. that got him mm-hmm. killed. He was they were talking about like the like battles in the South. I think. Yeah, and I think yeah. Ed and Al have mentioned it before too. I forget mm-hmm. exactly though. Yeah. I mean, they said they kind of. I feel like it's implied that all the really strict military state stuff really started to happen when the Fuhrer became the Fuhrer. That too, yeah. Because they, he, somebody said, I think it was either Hughes or Roy in one of their conversations was like, Fuhrer Bradley like built this country and blah, 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 blah. I can't remember exactly. And that also kind of implies to me that not necessarily things were like super different, but probably things were different before Bradley was Fuhrer. Yeah. Yeah, I think someone said, it might have been Ed. <clears throat> but someone said like like Amestris has always had a lot of conflicts but like things really ramped up when yeah yeah, yeah. Fear, when Bradley became pure mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense well mm-hmm. and, and so I mean an interesting thing is that at least especially early on when we were getting to know Bradley you know he was respected and sort of like feared kind of you know I mean mm-hmm. he's he's a but like um uh, talking to to the rock bells the merchant guy or whatever he says something like um uh bradley is there's talk about ordering an extermination essentially and mm-hmm. i have no doubts that bradley would do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it seems like his like almost monstrous uh i don't know if conviction is the right word mm-hmm. but like is well known you know, people mm-hmm. know that he's ruthless and, yeah. and all that. And, like, I feel like we didn't get that sort of um, image of him uh, initially, right? I feel like initially, no, but at one point somebody was like, oh, he became famous for his, like, ruthlessness on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so he, he had some, thing, like... But mm-hmm. We didn't see that. We saw him being all weird and yeah. nice yeah, to be like... <laughs> Yeah, he would be, like, friendly one moment, but then all of a sudden become stern. So we weren't really yeah. sure what to make of him at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But, like, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like, yeah, we, we didn't... I think we didn't see it until probably the greed fight. Yeah. Uh, then we're like, oh, yeah. Um, right. But, like, I, I just feel like with it being so known, with, with other people talking about him, it, it may have come up, you know? Something yeah. Like that. I don't know. It's just interesting. I don't know. I think because we see the the world mostly through the perspective of Ed and Al... Mm-hmm. some of that perspective just isn't there because they're younger, you know? I don't yeah. know. Like, Ed was basically saying at the beginning of the chapters that we were reading that he's like, I don't know that much about a mistress. I don't... I mean, about uh, the war. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. And is asking for more information. Like, probably older people have a different perspective of Bradley. Mm-hmm. Um, like, people be, yeah. who would remember. Yeah, I think we didn't get, like, deep into, like, the military character perspective for a little while. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, Roy and his team were there, but they weren't, like... We didn't get, like, deep dives into their, like, past and personalities for a little while. Not until they started dying. <laughs> yeah, it's also probably just, like, not a good idea to, like, gossip about how awful your yeah, military that... leader is in the military <laughs> state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably that's, not. That's true. <laughs> Unless you're saying that he's a homunculus. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I was gonna say... This time we um, we did get to see a little bit more about the fear of being super mm-hmm. um, callous, I guess, mm-hmm. to yeah. other like in the face of other people, like not yeah. in the not to people who know about the homunculi and whatever. Like I thought it was interesting that Roy is the one who like brings the cleric 
I assume Hughes, the Supreme yeah. Cleric is supposed to be the leader of Vishval or whatever, right? Did I say Hughes? You said Roy, you said Roy <gasps> but it's Hughes. Yeah. It was it was Hughes. Yeah. I pictured him. I pictured Hughes in my head when I was talking. Mm-hmm. Um, like when so Hughes when Hughes brought the Supreme Cleric, uh, from Ishval, mm-hmm. and the fear is like, well, one life is worth just one life, and. Mm-hmm. You know, like, where's your god to strike me down now and all this shit. Yeah. And and he's like, You he says you humans something something. Hold on, wait. Um humans are so arrogant. Yeah, something, something like something. The, like spare me your conceit and you're human or something like that. Yeah. And and it's interesting that Hughes is there when he says that, because later he's the one who like figures stuff out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, Whoa, that was kind of a slip up. You shouldn't be saying you humans. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you were yeah, in that I situation, like... I'd be like, that's suspicious. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like passable in his speech. It's just talking yeah. about like one life is one life. You're just a mere human. Like yeah. you could conceivably see it as like me. We're all yeah. just mere humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but obviously but yeah, it's definitely care sketchy about one with, the, uh, with the knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that scene was interesting though. Mm-hmm. Well, um, okay, so I, I know I say this every time, <laughs> but I still think he'd make a better pride. <laughs> I don't just like you know. I always agree with you. One one person's life is only worth like another, and I mean he's a he's not a human, but he's essentially a human. But he sees himself as more, and like I don't. He dares God to strike him down. Very arrogant. Granted, not necessarily wrong, but you know I don't know. I just I I find him a very pri- prideful person. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember pride that well but i'm pretty sure more he displays it way more than pride does i think um, mm, i disagree okay i no i don't spoilers, remember but I, well. yeah yeah i think i, don't I think the manga well pride is well. very prideful <laughs> um i guess we'll i think see. You, i think you could go either way with him with bradley like i think mm-hmm. there's enough to justify him as wrath too like i think he does have like a quiet constant anger he does. Like, yeah. Like every time he talks to anybody. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he really talks down to so he he And I feel like his like <laughs> yeah. His pride is less of a personal pride and more like like, oh, we have pride as a monkey lie, that's normal, but then like yeah. he also like is sort of like intrigued with like humanity on a personal level. So it's less of a like like personal, like I'm amazing kind of pride. So Yeah. Because uh, I think all the all the homunculi have like a baseline level of like we're so much better than humans. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say, or like I think um, he's his like talking down to people and stuff. You could interpret it as pride, but I think you could also interpret it as kind of like contempt, like a wrathful contempt. It's true. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, so I feel like it's more. He, it's kind of both. He is prideful, yeah. but yeah, I do think it's also kind of like that base level of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, that the homunculi all seem to have. To make themselves, you know, feel superior to humans and whatever. Even though you're right that Wrath is basically just a human. Like he only has one soul or whatever, so mm-hmm. he yeah. just has like special powers. Like yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely an interesting like state of being compared to everyone else around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see when we learn more about Pride. I'll provide a follow-up opinion later. Yeah. yeah, like I don't think it was a bad choice to make him Pride in the 2003 anime before mm-hmm. actual Pride was revealed mm-hmm. and before he was even revealed as Wrath. Yeah, um, 
which is like crazy to think about. That seems so long ago. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, was like interesting choice. Yeah, <laughs> but I also think he. Myself. I also think he works perfectly well as Wrath. Yeah, yeah he's definitely mad. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I can't. I don't know if he's better than Pride. Pride. I want to see what Pride. Pride is like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited for uh, Pride. Pride to show up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pride. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Not just Wrath. Pride. Prideful Wrath, but Pride. Prideful Pride. <laughs> okay. Well, no. Here's another thing, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the flag of a mistress is a lion, right? Is it? It's a dragon. That was a dragon. Oh, is it a dragon? It looks like a lion. <laughs> I always thought it was a lion. It's, it's a close lion enough dragon. to a lion to be a lion, right? Sure. And what do lions Don't. live in? <laughs> Maybe dragons live in Africa. Prides. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can take it's, a hint. I'm out. But is he? <laughs> but also, that would imply that he would feel some kind of connection to the rest of his like group as a pride, mm-hmm. which he definitely doesn't. Oh, so. no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's supposed to be a dragon because when we see the like um, the Xerxes, yeah, the um, double dragon thing, no, it talks about yeah. the double dragon, and they look a lot like the. Uh, I think you're right. Dragon. I think it's yeah. one of those like kind of old. But it's like a medieval animal English... where nobody yeah. knows what anything looks like. <laughs> right. Yeah. It looks like it looks like the style of those kind of like medieval dragons that sometimes look like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does look like a questionable animal for sure. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's like a siren. Huh? Yeah, it, it could chimera. be a chimera. It does look like that because mm-hmm. it has kind of a tail and it doesn't yeah. really have legs and it does kind of look like a lion head, but mm-hmm. I always assumed it was a weird dragon. <laughs> Our national symbol, the weird a dragon. weird dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we should talk about Scar. I think it would be good a good place to go. Okay. Because we're talking about kind of talking about alchemy, but like Scar. So one thing that I thought was interesting is that so Scar's, Scar's super vengeful about his older brother, but he didn't they had kind of a tenuous relationship right before his brother mm-hmm. died, which I mm-hmm. thought was kind of interesting because he was studying um, alkahestry, I guess, specifically, which is Scar sees it as yeah. a crime against his Ishvala mm-hmm. trying to create things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like that could make your like guilt and grief and mm-hmm. anger even mm-hmm. worse. Oh like, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I was <laughs> like, Oh no, the last things I said to him were terrible. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like at the end, it's not like he was like against him or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think Scar just had a different perspective about alchemy. Like at first, he was against it because it was a, you know, it's sacrilegious, I guess. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. later, when the other group, like the people who are kind of supporting his brother, are like, but he could be a weapon against um, mm-hmm. the state alchemists. Mm-hmm. And Scar's kind of like, how can you see this thing as, that's so powerful as being, you know, like a good thing? So mm-hmm. you can kind of see like the origin of his feelings about alchemy. Yeah. Like it's not even just the state alchemists. Like obviously they're kind of his enemy, but it's more like he's kind of against like alchemy in general and it feels like it only just brings, mm-hmm. you know, more bad things than good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see it. Like, I feel like he probably thinks that it sort of stole his brother away even before he died. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, it's kind of interesting how he's like, like horrified by them wanting to use like alchemy for vengeance and then winds up mm-hmm. using alchemy for vengeance. vengeance but he's still yeah. like but he still sees that as like a sin since he says he has to like toss away his, his name, name and like and, not yeah. claim like the place in, like, with the shvala anymore by uh-huh. doing that mm-hmm. yeah it's true mm-hmm. and i guess the way that he got his arm is, it seems like his brother like transmuted his arm 
yeah. in his own arm for him. Yeah. So. Which is impressive. He did a better job of human transportation than Roy did. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's uh, been studying all that sheen medical alchemy. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Yeah. Maybe he has a leg up. And we know that Scar has notes from him now. Mm-hmm. At least it seems like he still has them. I don't know. We've never seen them before this time. Yeah. But he yeah. got his brother's notes. He had notes. them while he was... Uh, Leaving Ishval, it seems. And his so. brother was like, something's fucked up about this alchemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, something's wrong with this country's alchemy, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we know something is ro- very wrong with it since father can basically control it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm kind and of even, like way before that, we had Ling be like, there's something weird about this country. Yeah, like, everybody's been saying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did uh, May said the same thing, but I don't remember if it was about the country or the alchemy. Uh, I think it was more specifically about father. Like, when yeah. they were going down the thing, she was like, something's freaky down there. Like, no, I don't remember exactly. I think she... there was another time where she said it. I think I could be wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe, I don't maybe it was the same time. I don't know. Yeah, she's alluded to the same thing though. Things yeah. being bad, and I think that they're all connected. Like father being bad and alchemy being bad are connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, in a mistress, but like what the real true connection is hasn't been um, mm-hmm. stated yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like all the characters with some connection to uh, Sheen alchemy, alchemy um seem to notice something off about a mistress's alchemy. So. And they and they're obvi- even though like w- the outcome that we see seems very similar, they're obviously doing something different because they're able to do it when you can't do alchemy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But I think it's kind of interesting that it's like the concept like all is one and one is all is also a concept in alchemy. And I feel like mm-hmm. we kind of heard not like rumors, uh like the folk tale or whatever is like that an alchemist from the east came to a mistress and taught them alchemy and an alchemist from the west came to sheen and taught them alchemy so mm-hmm. there seems to be like kind of a single source mm-hmm. um so maybe yeah. that's where that kind of concept concept comes from and or maybe like izumi is you know somewhat studied in alchemy or there's some kind of common connection but mm-hmm. um i don't know so it seems like there are some commonalities but yeah it could also be one of those things like it's like Scar's brother notes that it's similar to their like religious beliefs. And mm-hmm. like in real in the real world there's a lot of like similarities across different religious beliefs yeah. because they travel across the world and mm-hmm. yeah. people like, you know, transition them to their, you know, own situations and everything. Yeah. hmm Well and also there's like uh what is it called? Like the collect you know, there's some theory that there's just common yeah. Alchety- archetypes and common yeah, things across the, cultures. Yeah, with the Jungian collective psychology. unconsciousness or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> subconscious, whatever it is. Yeah, collective yeah. unconscious, subconscious. <laughs> something like that. We're well read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's psychology. <laughs> Carl Jung is like one step away from esoteric bullshit. It's yeah. like he if he hadn't had a clinical practice, then he would have just been writing esoteric bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It's like because he interviewed people, it's now not esoteric bullshit. Yeah. There's a, there's always been a fine line between like uh, <laughs> legit science and esoteric bullshit. So. <laughs> but anyway, to this yeah. day, like yes. So um, but yeah, it is interesting that uh, and I like um, the messages that we hear about alchemy and religion and stuff and like science and religion of like uh, Scar's brother being like, I want to learn this because learning more about different cultures will help me understand, help us understand people better and whatever mm-hmm. and. Scar's kind of against it. I feel like that's a kind of a point of view that I've heard from from 
really reticent people before that's like but they're mm. you know they're bad or whatever and um i don't know so i thought that was one of the nice things like i said i we kind of talked or joked about it before reading all the horrible things that is like there's still even in here in all these like horrible scenes that we've seen there's a lot of like really nice messages mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. and that was yeah. one of them for me yeah. Um. yeah and also like yeah through all the horrible things we see like good people being good and like i think scar's brother is one example of that mm -hmm. like, yeah yeah he tried to do the mm -hmm. best that he could and yeah and he his saved his brother to save his brother mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's so sad when he's he's calling out or one of the things that made me really sad when i was reading it when he calls out and he's like where's my brother's arm it's like oh mm -hmm. it's so awful yeah yeah yeah, and like even before that, like he's just talking about how like he's not a fighter and he's mm -hmm. so scared, but he still like instinctively throws himself in front of his little brother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was in some of the little scenes of like daily life in Ishval were interesting. Like we saw Scar's master like teaching people. Mm -hmm. I was kind of wondering what what is it that he's teaching? I don't. So it, it's not really super clear. I think the um, I think there's a strong connection between the like warrior culture and the religion in Ishval. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think his master probably taught him like that mix of like religion and fighting. Yeah, mm -hmm. it seems like. Well, he mm -hmm. says Scar's brother says that he's a warrior, so mm -hmm. I feel like he had some kind of like martial artsy type training too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And beat the which shit we out see of the soldiers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He beat the shit out of like whatever, like ten soldiers as one person. Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of commented that like all, or like that's common, I guess in ishmalans like yeah they have that kind of they were the yeah, military like was like we specialize and... in guerrilla tactics and yeah they said like one ishmalan is worth like 10 of our so or stronger than 10 yeah. of our soldiers or whatever so mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i found the like the daily life scenes really kind of heart-wrenching since we know how yeah absolutely destroyed the culture is right now mm -hmm. like, yeah like when it's you just, just like, see oh, like scar just walking through and... yeah just walking through a market and slowly getting worse through the yeah. chapters where it's like <laughs> Uh, you know, his brother's still, like, studying, and they're sort of in relative safety, which I think is what you said, literally, in your summary. Mm -hmm. um, but then he's walking by, like, you know, someone, a grave, and someone who, an injured soldier or whatever, somebody was talking about the fighting and stuff. Like, it's not yeah. far off, but they're still mm -hmm. just barely safe for now. Yeah. Yeah. And we already kind of knew what happened to Scar. Mm -hmm. um, like, we... I feel like, like, I mean, we knew this brother died and we knew all these things that were kind of going to happen, but then we finally saw it this time. So, yeah. Yeah. And then they had the rock bells who were there mm -hmm. helping them, which is also really sad. Yeah. Yes, yeah, kind of, you're like, oh no, they were really amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even Kimberly said they were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were really, and they were like, they seemed to have like a good attitude, even though things were really shitty. Mm -hmm. And the guy, the the merchant, the the guy bringing the medication is like, "Can you can you please leave with me?" And they're like, "No, we can't do that. We can't leave patients." Yeah. <laughs> and then right at the end, Scar is the one who ends up killing them. So, mm -hmm. but I feel like Scar Scar was freaking out because of his brother was dead. I mean, I guess, mm -hmm. and and I mean, yeah, they like you said, they were the only Mestrians who happened to be there. They just happened to be yeah. kind of in the wrong place yeah. at the wrong time. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think he was just in the blind like rage panic grief thing like yeah i don't think he knew what he was doing no yeah which is, i think i think is why he seems to regret it some he does seem to regret it. i guess to confront uh 
Winry later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's something really cool they do with um, that scene in the uh, in the Brotherhood anime. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of scenes with like the people's like eye color being highlighted during mm-hmm. the Ishvalan War, where like it'll mostly be a grayscale scene, but have like the red eyes of the Ishvalans and like mm-hmm. the blue eyes of the Amestrians. Mm-hmm. And so like when Scar like wakes up and is freaking out, all he sees is like the blue Amestrian eyes on mm-hmm. the rock bells. Interesting. Yeah. Really neat uh, visual Effect. touch, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. This does make me want to watch the Brotherhood anime. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite good. I'm sure. I also find the one little panel where, like, um, Yuri Rockbell obviously realizes it's coming, like, a split second before it mm-hmm. happens. It's, like, really, like, ah. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I find the one where Kimberly comes in and they're dead, and they've just mm-hmm. been left in the hospital, and, like, yeah. that one's really yeah. sad. I feel like. Yeah, and they seem to have, like, died, like, holding on to each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And they had the photo with Winry on them mm-hmm. the whole yeah. time. And they're all like, I have a kid. I can't let this kid die. <laughs> yeah, that was another one of those lines that like, like, oh. had to stop for a second. But like, I have a daughter about the same age. There's no way I'm letting you die. <laughs> yeah. Close the book and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> I did like before on a lighter note that... Um, like Mrs. Doctor Rockbell was like, <laughs> Rockbell women are renowned for our courage and tenacity. Sarah Rockbell. I, I yeah. didn't, they don't introduce their names until the scene. So, yeah, I think oh, they maybe. were like on their graves several oh, chapters ago. But mm. um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like I'm not sure. I don't think Yuri's name is ever said in this yeah. chapter. I just remember it. Sarah's from the, is yeah. Yeah, from the grave. <laughs> and it's spelled really weird, so I didn't really know how to pronounce it at first, but. It's not why you are supposed to be Yuri. Yeah, it's like U R E Y. Oh, okay, whatever. So I think the first time I saw it I was like Ray. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Good enough. Yeah, apparently it's supposed. It's a odd variation on the spelling for Yuri. So <laughs> interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then he. Uh, speaking of him, he also says like it better be a fraud who does something good than a good person who does nothing. Oh yeah, mm-hmm, which I thought was yeah. also a nice sentiment. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Also, like when they're you know still a little bit you know happy when they're like <laughs> yeah. talking about like oh we we missed our opportunity to go home when we will be mad at us and mm-hmm. but then like like sarah saying that like like oh if i went home when there were still patients like Winry and panaka would chew me out mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like just like uh you, know, you get glimpses of that like sweet family they had once yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they definitely would have chewed her out so <laughs> <laughs> despite the tragedy that comes later yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, like when we said, she's like, I'm proud of what they did, but I wish they'd been able to come home alive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just completely reasonable feelings. <laughs> I have a lot of notes about Roy and Riza that we haven't really talked about yet. It's kind of a non sequitur, mm-hmm. but I feel yeah. like we can yeah. talk about it now. Yeah, I feel like they're like the biggest chunk, so it's... Yeah. yeah. Well, because... talk about, so. Yeah, like, because I was going back and looking at my notes and it's like, this all... I mean, first of all, the chapter opens with this. The mm-hmm. scene of um, Roy speaking to Master Hawkeye, which we kind of talked about already, but um, and I refuse. I don't. Does he have his name ever get mentioned? I just keep calling him. I choose to call him Master Hawkeye. Uh, but... uh, one like right as he's dying. Um, really? yeah. I thought you just called him Hawkeye. Oh, oh, his he, first name. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Mister Hawkeye. I feel like he might have a first name, but I don't know if it shows up in the thing. <laughs> Let me. I'm sure he has a detailed backstory. All, all, yeah. all manga characters do, but whether it's there or not, uh, Berthold. Oh, okay. Well, 
Hawkeye is <laughs> apparently his full name. I was like, I feel like That's I know the first name for him. I don't know where it, if it showed up in the manga. <laughs> Call or him Birdie. It's just a side thing, but yeah. Bert. Bert. <laughs> I'll call him Master Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, Master Hawkeye. <laughs> but yeah, he... Reese's weird dad. Reese's weird dad. And he was super weird. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that, like, I wonder how connected... It, it doesn't show in this chapter, like, how they know each other. Like, did Roy seek him out? Did they know each other before? Like, whatever. But it's kind of interesting. Um, and then we already talked about how they disagreed in their belief about the military. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Reese said that her parents were estranged from their families, which we also kind of talked about before. Um, yeah. I thought it was kind of funny at the grave where Roy's like, well, if you ever want to talk to me, I'll be at the military here. I'd never plan to leave the military. And she's like, don't get killed. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she trusted him with her back. We haven't talked about her tattoo yet. And yeah. any of the any of the shit that came out from that, like that mm-hmm. plot mm-hmm. line. Yeah. He trusted. She trusted him. Mm-hmm. Um, because he said that he wanted to he wanted to be able to protect people yeah and that it was a wonderful she said it was a wonderful dream mm-hmm. and we've talked multiple times about backs and watching people's backs yeah. and yeah. back watching my back being a thing especially with them and now it's even mm-hmm. more clear why that's like a thing that they say to each other and stuff yeah yeah because she trusted him with her back and then he yeah, says he i'm trusting him. you with my back mm-hmm. yeah. you can shoot me in the back at any time mm-hmm. if i ever do the wrong thing or whatever mm-hmm. And then he's like, do you accept? And she's like, yes. Mm-hmm. I'll even follow you into hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Through a river of blood. But her, her rationale for that. And he was like, are you trying to um, like justify your being in the military or whatever? And she's like, yeah, because I think that soldiers should be the only ones who need to kind of like carry the burdens of the things that we've mm-hmm. done so that the next generation mm. can be happy. Which kind of makes sense. That I feel like that makes her attitude toward like Ed now kind of make more sense I feel like we got a good not make more sense but kind of like solidify it like we've seen the way that she kind of treats them and how how they want she seems to want to protect them and we saw that earlier and I feel like that's all kind of related to this attitude that she has and like her goal Mm -hmm. and why she wants to be in the military and whatever yeah she did say before that she's in the military to protect a certain person but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who's Roy? Um, but but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like there's like other deeper reasons like this. Mm-hmm. So we got to see that too. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then she asked, she asked Roy to burn the scar. So that's what burned the tattoo. So that's where the scar comes in, I guess, or the yep. scar comes from that we saw last time. At least that's what's implied. But yeah, we didn't have to see mm-hmm. the scene of <laughs> Roy. Yeah. Yeah. Neither copying it or studying it or burning it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, he didn't burn the whole thing away, which I think is what she wanted. Yeah, she said she wants to become illegible, and so yeah, so mm-hmm. he, he and like he he talks right about now. how he's can control the flames so well that he can burn just a small part. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, now we know they have an even deeper relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. It's like like they've known each other for a while, and like when in that first flashback. Like, he calls her Riza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they obviously have some kind but, of relationship from the past, I guess. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, nowadays, they only ever call each other by their rank. Yeah. 
they have an interesting relationship and it's also kind of like i mean i guess he was probably there all the time studying with his master and stuff like they probably Mm -hmm. have this kind of personal relationship or something like yeah he Mm -hmm. called her visa and then they i guess they were apart for a while and then she joined the military as well and Mm -hmm. you know and then they they met again on the battlefield yeah so and like obviously seeing each other on the battlefield like hit them both hard mm -hmm, yeah (laughs) right we haven't talked about anybody's murderous eyes yet (laughs) um yeah but yeah, that's actually that scene is really great. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, like even before that, we see like Reese's eyes go wide when she sees him. Yeah, in her scope. Mm-hmm. scope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we saw in the flashback previously, like in another chapter, that you know she has her her uh, sight set on Roy, but we don't really see why. But you, you know. Oh she's... yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw that. Uh, the yeah. flashback, the mini flashback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the person saying, "I like guns because you don't have to like feel the." the yeah. your enemy dying or whatever mm. yeah yeah i don't know i mean it's kind of yeah i guess they only call each other by rank but like i don't know actually we haven't i guess they do even when they're only alone together and stuff too but mm-hmm. you know, they have an interesting relationship i don't really know yeah. what to make and of that and i don't that. think yeah i was gonna say i don't think that displays any kind of lack of intimacy it's no 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 interesting how that's changed like yeah no I think they have a goal when they were essentially kids. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Well, Risa looks like she's pretty young and it's Mm -hmm. implied that she's a little bit younger than Roy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how old they are, exactly how far in age apart they are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking of how, you know, 50 years from now, after Roy (laughs) served as the fear president, (laughs) they're all old. She's sitting on a, rocking chair on the front porch still calling him fear president (laughs) (laughs) and he's like general or whatever (laughs) (laughs) or like whatever the title is for the fear president's first lady wife question mark (laughs) (laughs) mrs fear (laughs) (laughs) mrs fear (laughs) someone out there probably knows if i'm sure that uh Hitler's wife had a title, but oh, I don't know what it would be. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, yes, (laughs) they still refer to each other by their title. (laughs) It'd be funny. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like a lot of this, this, so like, there's this running thread throughout the whole kind of course, showing their talking about how they feel before they started fighting and how they felt after the end of the war, especially Roy mm-hmm. and some, and Risa. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of like partially kind of like egged on by Kimberly, I guess, um, mm-hmm. in their conversations. But yeah, at the end, um, you know, Risa's like, I'm in it to, I'm in this to protect people and protect future generations. And Roy is like, I want to protect as many people as possible. And that's why he's like mm-hmm. gunning for the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he says specifically, like, the war destroyed my, like, youthful ideals or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and he, at the end, he feels, uh, like, the soldiers <clears throat> all congratulate him, um, or, like, thank that thank him for protecting them, but he's like, oh, I could only barely protect, like, a few people, and I want to protect as many mm-hmm. people as possible, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that whole thing with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll protect the people below me, and they'll protect people below them, mm-hmm. and then he's saying, like, well, then you have to be at the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd be at top of the rat's nest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that as like, like contrasting when we were first introduced to Roy and it's just like, oh, he's just this ambitious climber mm-hmm. who wants to be Fuhrer for 
you know, you selfish know, reasons, reasons or whatever. And then you, yeah, mm-hmm. and then you find out like his real motivation. It's like we've known for a while he doesn't have selfish motivation. Yeah, no, just yeah. to get the like the root of that that goal. Yeah, it is always questionable until this point. I feel like, but yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like this is genuinely yeah. his goal. And I like how the fear is like, ah, I see you with my special eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do like the line that's in the official translation, but I remember um, reading a, a scanlation and what the fear said was like, he's looking at me. No, he's already looking past me. Mm-hmm. And I like that mm-hmm. one too. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He has something bigger in mind than just mm-hmm. becoming the role or kind of going after the mm-hmm. person. It's about changing. Yeah. And the life of people in Amestris, I guess, as many people as possible. So, it's just that pride, right? He's like, oh, it's all about me, <laughs> he's, right? That's his he's... first instinct. Was he's looking at me? It's got to be. Oh no, 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 hold on, sorry. I, I was at least able to put it aside. He's looking past me, uh-huh. but it's that first instinct, right? <laughs> well, I mean, he is literally. But then he's mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then he's mad about it, so it's he's wrath, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh i also like how at the end the very end of the chapter it's like um the last chapter we read i think is so it's a conversation with roy and risa where roy's like i need you to watch my back and uh, i want like i'll protect protect others and like it's all about taking care of the people that you want he's like live for um no matter what happens stubbornly cling to your will to survive live and help change this country and then right after that it's contrasted with scar being like the only thing i have left to live for is vengeance and I feel like mm-hmm. we did talk about several times about how, like, the people who have the characters in the story who have people around them tend to be successful. And, mm-hmm. like, Scar acting alone tends to, I mean, he's definitely killed a bunch of people, mm-hmm. including General Gran, who, right, who we got to see this yeah. time. I was like, oh, yeah. hey, it's him. Badass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Actually, I want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, but, like, Scar, I feel like part of the message here is that you can't be successful by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Scar at the end is only driven by his vengeance. He's not really driven by like a need to protect people or mm-hmm. kind of like care yeah. care about the people around him really because they're gone. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like the contrast at the end of the chapter between Roy and Risa and then Scar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like how Scar like specifically says like I have no one left to protect, so mm-hmm. it's like. Like, he had that same kind of goal. He did. Mm-hmm. And then it got ripped away from him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like how the whole, like, live and, like, you have to live and help change this country thing that, mm-hmm. like, ends the chapter uh-huh. is also similar to what Risa says at the beginning yeah. to Ed. He says the, like, uh, uh, like, no matter how difficult things get, no matter how foolish you look struggling under the weight of your burdens, you have to keep living for the people you love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Winry, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I liked that um, contrast. I think Scar's changing. We talked last time about how his character is going through kind of an arc right now, it mm-hmm. seems. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. he is surrounded by others now. Like, he, I mean, he is Yoki. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he has, like, he's had contact BFF. with the... Yeah, his BFF. His, his master, Yoki. Um, <laughs> he's had more contact with people like uh, May, and now I think mm-hmm. a deeper connection and a better understanding of, like, Adenal, even. Mm-hmm. Um, and Winry, his exposure to Winry. Um, yeah. So now that he yeah. has more of a connection to other people, it seems like yeah. he's and acting. We have specifically different. seen him trying to protect May. Like, yes. When he goes with her mm-hmm. to 
look for Xiaomei. So. <laughs> her cat. <laughs> yeah, her cat. <laughs> um, but yeah, like those, I guess one of, probably, I feel like a message of the story is obviously the importance of human connection and specifically people that you feel close to. Mm-hmm. So Scar having a, a growing network of people that he, you know, somewhat cares about or whatever is yeah, changing his, the way that he acts, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I did like the contrast at the end of his, you know, the the birth of his character, <laughs> I guess, yeah. versus mm-hmm. um, the beginning of like Roy and Reese's kind of trajectory mm-hmm. to where they are today. Oh, we're we gonna talk about. Oh, I want to talk about. <laughs> he was Colonel Grand at the time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't talk about Armstrong yet either, which is just sad. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, actually, they're all kind of related, right? Because they were. Uh, whoever that general was that was leading um like armstrong's group fessler yeah Yeah, fessler he was being such a dick and i love how Mm -hmm. all the uh i did feel slightly pleased when colonel grant assassinated Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. i was like "Uh." i thought calmly he does it and like with the like interesting statistic yeah (laughs) yeah and then everyone else is like man you're just like "Mm, straight bullet bullet. shame Mm -hmm. yeah please take command yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i mean he was just needlessly sacrificing a bunch of soldiers and whatever basically mm-hmm. for his own uh I, like um aggrandizement yeah 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 <laughs> for his own selfish reasons basically to yeah. be like i this other to, that to yeah, he, show that he'd accomplished something i guess mm-hmm. which is ridiculous yeah and he was very against i mean i think in the end he was right that the fear didn't care about the cleric mm-hmm. supreme cleric mm-hmm. however um i think everybody else was like i think we should try to negotiate an end for this war yeah. but um yeah obviously that wasn't really in the cards but mm-hmm. <laughs> um i i did find myself enjoying that scene <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. yeah general grand already looks like he's been through some shit he already has a scar on yeah. his face when he shows up mm-hmm. it seems like on mm-hmm. his nose I almost said snoot. (laughs) 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 Hanging out with cats too much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, he he already has a scar on his nose and he has this crazy mustache, which is important, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just massive. (laughs) Yeah, he's huge. He's kind of like Armstrong, the way that we see Armstrong. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a bit bombastic too. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm the Iron Blood Alchemist. Iron (laughs) Blood. They're like, you don't need to go into the battlefield. And he's like, come behind me. And he's like, already on the field or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Back me up. Yeah. At least he put it's his money like where a... his mouth was. Unlike some yeah. people who are just ordering people around, sending them in to yeah. die for their own personal reasons. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's just like the, like, actually good at <laughs> being a soldier and killing people version of Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, Armstrong... We we should talk about Armstrong because he, he mm-hmm. it, the arguments that the the general was using when he was berating Armstrong were like, well, if you just stop fighting, like your your comrades will get injured and blah blah blah. And but he just thought the whole thing was wrong, the whole conflict was wrong, and obviously yeah. he was traumatized by having to trap people and kill them. Which yeah, that was horrible. Makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like right on the other side while they're like screaming and stuff, and then also mm-hmm. letting people trying to save some people and <laughs> completely just exploding them yeah. right in front of him, yeah. which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's another thing with Kimbe where it's like I 
think he genuinely felt like he was helping Armstrong in that scene. He did. He was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. If, yeah. And he because he's like, OK, so if it, if anybody else had seen you, you'd definitely be court-martialed. So he's like, yeah, cool. I covered for you, bro. And he's like, are you OK? Yeah. Do you need a hand? He's like holding out his hand to Armstrong, who's yeah. like clearly <laughs> freaking out. Like, so crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, Kimberly's like, they're all on my side. They're my they're my comrades, right? Like, yeah. So, yeah, of course he would help another soldier. He just won't help a Ishvalan. Like, it, yeah. So whereas people mm-hmm. like Armstrong believe that all, you know, people... <laughs> Yeah. shouldn't be targeted that they're trying to protect all people of Mestris. Mm-hmm. Kimberly yeah. is like, no, no, the order is to get rid of all these people and that's just what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm here to protect the people I'm here to protect. I'm here to get rid of the people that I'm here to get rid of. Mm-hmm. With some explosions at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, interesting... That... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that, just that, that panel of Armstrong so with his like, head like, oh, against the wall. With the... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just like horrible. Mm-hmm. With Armstrong, you know, he's talked about how he deserted and as a result, like, he wasn't able to protect, like, his comrades and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, again, not entirely his fault, but he deserted, essentially, and and Fessler... Yeah, it was, Fessler. Cause Fessler was his uh, commander, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Until Grant took over. To, yeah, their unit <laughs> yeah. had to go in without him. Yeah. And they had several casualties and things like that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, like, I mean, I guess... Again, it's not necessarily his fault, but immediately afterwards, I'm sure a lot of people that he knew ended up dead, and yeah. had. I mean, he obviously feels a lot of guilt for it. Mm-hmm, but like, mm-hmm. That's that's probably a big reason why. Yeah. But then I don't think any of them blame him. I mean, Hughes and Roy yeah. are like, well, at least he got to go home. He was like, yeah, the Hughes was the one who was saying like the only way, the only honorable way to go home from this war is like a dishonorable discharge or whatever, mm-hmm. something like that. Can't remember exactly yeah. what he said, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think a lot of the soldiers were against what they were doing. They were just mm-hmm. following orders as specified. Yeah. And I think yeah, when, I think, uh, uh, yeah, like uh, when Armstrong goes home and when they're like, oh, Comanche can go home now, <laughs> they're kind mm-hmm. of like, well, you know, like they're the ones who get to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's, I can't remember if it's mentioned directly in the manga or not, but it's, like, the fact that Armstrong is still a major in the present time. Mm-hmm. Plus, it, like, it's, like, I doubt any of his fellow soldiers blamed him, but that obviously, like, had a mark on his, like, how the uh, mm-hmm. higher-ups view him. Yeah, of course. That he hasn't mm-hmm. been promoted at all since then compared to, like, everyone Roy. else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, they saw him as uh, someone who wasn't able to like mentally handle be able to mentally job. handle their job mm-hmm. yeah exactly so mm-hmm. um i mean I, I don't think the fear gives a shit but <laughs> based yeah. on any of the other things that are happening but mm-hmm. yeah it's obviously a a mark on his career but yeah um but i feel like he's kind of his um reaction to that in the present is to be more committed to trying to stop the injustices that the military is doing so yeah 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 because like roy asked him like why not like why, why haven't you quit? quit the military you're obviously not like your temperament isn't suited to it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's like i can't run away now mm-hmm. yeah 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 he's an interesting character mm-hmm. i kind of thought we were going to see more of him in this flashback but I mean, we saw enough, yeah. like, <laughs> oh, yeah. to get the 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 gist of what happened. But um, mm-hmm. we had seen that flashback a couple of times, I think, of him with the child. So mm-hmm. yeah, 
Yeah, I think there's just so much, like, <laughs> yes. to see. Like, I feel like you could have, like, a couple more volumes of, like, horrible Ishval Wars. Totally. No one would want yeah. to read that. No. But you definitely could. <laughs> you could fill yeah. a couple more volumes. Mm-hmm. I have a pitch for a light novel. <laughs> for a <Yeah>. light novel. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Um... A, a heavy light novel. Yeah, a, a heavy novel, yes. <laughs> <laughs> one little thing I want to note is... um. It's interesting. We saw little like glimpses of people we've seen before. They like mentioned that they were yeah. like involved in Ishval. Like we saw Roa from uh, Greed's crew. Oh, really? And, oh, did we? Yeah, it's um. I think he's in Fessler's squad. I think you see him when the soldiers are grumbling. Mm. And I think you see him a lot the of the time. Hair? That's the one I remember. Oh yeah, there he is. Mm-hmm. Almost at the end of the Armstrong uh, volume. Yeah. Yeah, it's like right before Colonel Grand arrives. Oh, there he is. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then he gets out of the, uh, he gets out of the car, uh, mm-hmm. or enters the building or whatever they're in, or comes out of the building. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, back during that arc when he was fighting Armstrong, he, like, remarked that, like, Armstrong was as strong as ever and says that, like, mm-hmm. he too fought in the Ishval campaign. Mm-hmm. And we see here, it's like he was in mm-hmm. Armstrong's Armstrong squad, here. it looks like, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we see, you know, we see Scar's master, yeah. and we see, um, Mr. Sean and the boy who met with Ed in the uh, Xerxes ruins yeah. mm-hmm. and told them about the rock bells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were in the scene with Scar and the rock bells. Yeah. Yeah, as that was a nice touch to have all those other yeah. little characters in the background. I feel like there's a, they, characters in the story have like kind of a well or There's a well orchestrated timeline of who was where and who did what. And mm-hmm. People don't get like left out of things, characters don't get. Yeah. It's a very tightly organized story, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And you have all these yeah. like kind of little side characters that keep coming back and they're or they were in mm-hmm. the past or whatever. We kind of talked about it already, but I feel like the one when I read this the first time, one of the things that was really uh like sad touching to me was when they when Roy and Reza encounter each other again and, and Hughes and Roy encounter each other again and they're like, Oh, your eyes have changed. Oh um, yeah. And that uh I don't know. I just talk. I guess just a very. I feel like Arakawa must have gotten a lot of information from the people that she interviewed. Mm-hmm. Like I can imagine that's something that only someone who's like been there would you know would notice about people, like yeah. how they change on the battlefield and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that like like Roseline especially they're like this is terrible even her eyes have become those of a murderer mm-hmm. and she's like whatever so young right yeah so. she's gotta be like I don't know 20 like, uh, yeah something like that she's still a cadet right she hasn't mm-hmm. graduated from whatever so she was like mm-hmm. yeah like this is my last year of training got sent to the front of a civil war yeah <laughs> awful so yeah I mean she's gotta be she's gotta be young and then even Roy I mean Roy's pretty young too yeah, Roy's not yeah. that much older because he was a recent, like, graduate of the academy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess he was a little bit older than both of them, or whatever, because mm-hmm. he had some. He had some kind of officer rank when Roy joined. No, didn't they go to? I think they were. Yeah, I think they're they in the were academy together. The same time. But... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think, yeah. Yeah. Although I don't necessarily think you have to be the same age to be in the That's academy true. at the same time. He yeah. could have like decided to join up later. But, I don't know. Maybe um, he was just on the on the front line. Uh, yeah, I feel like he just had more um, experience. Like, yeah, front like frontline experience. experience compared to Roy. Because right, it seems like they just called in the state alchemists when the uh, execution order went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. 
So he maybe wasn't on the front until then. Maybe. Where it looks like Hughes was there for a while. Yeah, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I'm just saying he had he has been promoted at least yeah. once. <laughs> so it seems like he'd been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, they're all like, they're all kind of like, oh no, all these people that I knew who had all these like, you know, belief about what they thought they were going to be doing and why they were joining the military and their mm-hmm. reasons of, they all have, they've all changed. They've all been so um, deeply affected by the war, right? Yeah. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hughes's whole, like, presence in these chapters is interesting. It was like, mm-hmm. like, he's much better at compartmentalizing everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like than, like, Roy and Risa. Yeah. That kind of seems like his personality. Like when we even when we met him before, he had like, you know, he had his all like fun, lovey type personality and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when he, sometimes when he was talking to like Ed and whatever, he'd be more serious. Yeah. Um, I remember there's a couple of scenes where he's like more serious about things and so um mm-hmm. yeah. maybe that's just kind of what he's like. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. He almost has this, like, it seems like he has kind of a, like, Kimberly-esque attitude, actually, at some points, where he's kind of mm-hmm. just like, whatever, and then Roy's like, well, why do you fight? And he's like, I just want to get out of here. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, he's I like, feel like, I don't want to he... die, that's it. And then, yeah. like, at the end, he's like, oh, I can go home now. Like, Yeah. So he seems really detached, but I think it's just kind of like, he's just... Yeah, I, yeah, I guess it's... he is detached. <laughs> yeah, it's like his defense mechanism for yeah. dealing with all this horribleness. Yeah. So Which I like think it's part seems... of part of him having been there longer than the others. It's like Probably. he developed this sort of defensive attitude to be able to get through it. Definitely. I really enjoyed the uh the at the end, you know, when, when Roy is talking with the other members of his squad mm-hmm. that he doesn't even know their names and everything and like Yeah. Just, you know, so many people are coming and go that like you just can't you can't get too attached because you just you never know who's gonna go and mm-hmm. and it's just too much and that like even after that though all the all the, all of his comrades just recognize sort of his leadership and all that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it, and it's something that I mean you see with uh, his new recruits too who haven't seen him on the battlefield they have the same sort of dedication to him as well and mm-hmm. it shows that he's had it all along and I don't know yeah we talked really about how he has that kind of like sort of a natural charisma that seems to draw people to him mm-hmm. one of the soldiers like literally said like oh you your performance on the battlefield like inspired confidence or something trust, like that yeah. trust yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah and i think that's an important scene too because we see like mm-hmm. how he would be viewed as a hero like afterward yeah, that... even though he you know because he's always saying like no denies that like anything done on that battlefield was heroic and mm-hmm and like you see it and you're like yeah this is awful but like from the perspective of you know the soldiers the common soldier who mm-hmm. you know was able to survive because of people like him mm-hmm. yeah i think that that chapter is actually called the hero of ishval or something isn't it one of them is yeah <laughs> yeah it's called the hero of ishval at least that's the yeah. english translation mm-hmm. yeah and the first three chapters are the footsteps of ruin the immoral alchemist and mm-hmm. in the absence of god mm-hmm. Yeah, the chapter we're reading next time is called Beyond the Dream, which I assume refers to Roy's dream so, mm-hmm. of uh, being able to protect pe- as many people as possible yes. by becoming Fuhrer president, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Fuhrer. 
Maybe he'll change the title. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, I have an idea. Stay with me. What if we drop the Fuhrer part? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to be like, King, right? Put that in. Yeah. Fuhrer President Minister. Yeah. <laughs> then Reese is like, one misstep and I'll shoot you in the back. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't forget your promise. <laughs> I don't think I actually have any other things to say. I'm just looking at my notes. I, I did feel like, like there's more oh. we should be talking about. I just don't I know. know why. <laughs> I do have a couple other random notes that I don't have in a category. And it's like mm-hmm. from Ed's conversation with Risa, where he's mm-hmm. that, that kind of started everything, so it's kind of hard to talk about, but he's like Ed was also feeling kind of down on himself. Actually really similar to the way that Roy felt at the end of the war, where mm-hmm. he's like, I couldn't I couldn't pull the trigger on the gun even when my friends were in danger, I couldn't protect them, and blah blah blah. And like I guess because of her experience, however Risa is like, well, yeah, you, you, you don't, you can only worry about these things because you're still alive. Mm-hmm. So, and then just, I don't know, it's just nice to kind of, like I said, it leads into everything. We haven't specifically talked about that specific line yet, but we yeah. talked about that conversation before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the the conversation between Ed and Risa. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. I think they could mm-hmm. be good friends. And like yeah, I said, yeah. I want Risa to give me life advice. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's always seemed to like respect her, like. Even from the beginning, when he was still grumpy about Roy, like, yeah, I mean, he he hates Roy deep down inside, or like, yeah. Well, I think he think at least I don't know what how he feels now, but I imagine that what he thought. Well, I mean, I think he recognized Roy's like scheming attitude, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I mean, we he, know it's for good, so yeah, yeah. I, think I, think he saw, too, like, but... I think he saw the persona that Roy wanted everyone to see for the most <laughs> part, and has only fairly recently started to see like the. The yeah. gooey center inside. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, Riza doesn't really... I think she has kind of a detached or kind of like hard exterior, but I think it's pretty easy to see through her if you get to know her, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm sure she's always like, been nice to Ed and whatever. Plus, she was the one who... Well, she was with Roy when they came to talk to convince him to join and stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. She's friends with she's friends with Winry. Yeah, that girl mm-hmm. with the long hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we also saw like way back, like after the first scar fight, she like put her jacket over Ed and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like, like she's right. always been like kind and caring to them. Yeah, she sees them for the children that they are, unlike mm-hmm. some people in this story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I like how they also have this like personal connection, like because every because they're also involved now. Like, like at first she was like, oh hey, it's the girl from Resemble or whatever, but she knows Winry by name now, mm-hmm. and like, uh, and Ed knows more about like kind of. Uh, things that have happened to like Risa and Roy recently mm-hmm. whatever and of course he's worried now that she's the Führer's aide and knows that they're like hostage all of Roy's crew are like hostages and whatever mm-hmm. basically so yeah so they had just have a, I think they just have a deeper personal relationship than they did before um, because yeah. of all the crap that happened so mm-hmm. far in this story but, yeah yeah it's nice yeah. And like we said earlier they're both like trusting each other with like a lot of like personal mm-hmm. like details in this scene mm-hmm. it's cute yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, right. That was something that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I found Reese's words very harsh, right? When she has to burn her back mm-hmm. so that n- there'll never be another flame alchemist. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Like, I don't know. Just reading that, I was just like, ow. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. He's going to have to burn you back for payback after that. Yeah. Just, I don't know. That was. Well, very, he definitely uh, agrees with her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like he is torn at the end of this um, <laughs> about his ability, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And also, um, one thing I think is interesting that she says in that conversation is she's like, I need you to remove this legacy so that I can just, like, be myself. 
basically. Yeah. Or like whatever she said, like live as you know, a Hawkeye or yeah. something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like remove my father's legacy or whatever. So yeah, that was kind of interesting. We, I feel yeah. like there's a lot in that that we didn't really get to see about. Obviously, like I'm sure they have like some kind of fucked up relationship, like her and her dad. Yeah. Um, where well, she says she was afraid of him. Yeah. And, like, and he says he's like, "Oh, sorry, I couldn't do more for you or whatever." Mm-hmm. When he's dying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously they had a fucked up relationship, but mm-hmm. I mean yeah. the fact that he like used <laughs> yeah. her to store his Just notes. He tattooed yeah. chemical yeah. notes on her back. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so it's kind of nice that Roy is a person who they have this deep connection and also he is able to like he's probably the only person who could have like permanently just figured her back without doing something even worse I guess mm-hmm. like yeah. you know like he's the only one who can kind of like do that for her mm-hmm. so it's something that they've done for each other like she gave him the knowledge and then he also kind of like I guess helped her to feel more yeah. like she Remove can become her own burden. person yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah I don't know it's nice. Yeah. The burden she's literally carrying around on her back. On her back, so. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out backs are important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, that, yeah, that, that reminds me of a few things we talked about last time, I think. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about how it seems that only, like, the evil people seem to to tattoo alchemy circles on themselves. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, his master's definitely... I wouldn't call him necessarily evil, but definitely not right. Yeah. And so it's it, it definitely seems like uh, another instance of that where, you know, if you see someone with a tattoo or something, it's it's mm-hmm. not... It's usually a sign that, that, that something's up with them, right? Yeah, I guess At so. At the same time, we have Scar's brother in these chapters. Yeah. That's true. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Who, like, he definitely, like, I think he has the same kind of, like, really deep devotion to the the research that mm-hmm. the others we see mm-hmm. but his like you know his he seems genuinely benevolent in his uh that's true in his um but that's not alchemy goals. that's alchemy history so there <laughs> i'm still right <laughs> it's definitely a tattoo though yeah. <laughs> it's what bothers me more about it is the fact that he tattooed his his research on risa mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like beyond like I can see Kimberly being like, "Yes, this is I. This is the culmination of my research. It's perfect. I want this. I want access all the time to this transportation circle mm-hmm. and like Comanche or whatever because he's also kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> and in- they're all they're all like intensely focused on alchemy, right? Yeah. I guess that's kind of it. Even Scar's brother, their in- intentions aside, right? Mm-hmm. Um." What was I saying? Something about their tattoos. I got distracted being like, do I need the a fact that he, Yeah, the fact that he um, oh, he tattooed, tattooed on, Risa. Stuff on Risa. But isn't that fucked up? Anyway, yeah, right. it's definitely well, fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's like, me. I feel like his reasoning was probably that he knew he was dying. Was yeah. Like, you on something that will outlive me, but can't be just like stolen just away something. easily. And stuff. Yeah. Well, he said, you know, um, it's indecipherable by your average alchemist. Mm-hmm. And I think it means essentially you have to woo my daughter and like Pat, like she's she's sort of like the, she has uh, to trust you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I find kind of interesting because like he burned her back to free her of that legacy, and it was like, oh, by the way, kind of keep doing what you're doing, and if I stray, you know, you're yeah. still the gatekeeper of that legacy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 
like it's fucked up but it also does imply that like he had a lot of like trust and faith in his mm-hmm. daughter yeah for sure yeah. mm-hmm. issue was literally the only person that he trusted with his research he didn't even trust roy with it and roy was like his apprentice or whatever mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Like, oh he's like i've made the ultimate form of alchemy and it's like well that's a big statement yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's definitely like crazy but mm-hmm. obviously you can make crazy fireballs with it and stuff but uh, yeah but he's not turning people into animals that can talk. Come on. <laughs> so another thing that we were talking about he's before was... He's turning people into people who are on fire. He's <laughs> <laughs> turning people into tattooed people. Yeah. <laughs> what were we talking about before? <laughs> um, it's sort of like the how Roy is kind of on the... Sort of on the verge of going either way sometimes, right? Like... Mm. Um, uh, they um, I mean, his master said I don't remember exactly what it is. I should go find it. Hold on. But he essentially said that you know, like in the wrong hands, this can be you know something that changes the world or that like destroys it. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, and then we see him on the battlefield, showing very well that his master was right. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's interesting that it's like the flame alchemy because I feel like. Like, there's always a common, like, dichotomy to, like, fire mm-hmm. as a symbol, because it can mean, it can be absolute destruction, but it can also be life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my technique is the greatest and most powerful form of alchemy, but in the wrong hands, it could bring nothing but ill fortune. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, it's just, um, you see throughout these chapters, Roy again, you know, he's a good guy, you know, he's, he you know, fights for what's right. Although, you definitely see him do some things that don't necessarily show that, right? I mean, he is just following orders and Mm -hmm. just doing some awful things. I feel Mm -hmm. like he feels guilty about that, though. Yeah, Yeah, it's like... But, uh, I don't just, I mean, I don't know, it's it's sort of showing that, you know, he's he's capable of it, Mm -hmm. and like, um... Yeah, I mean, sort of as we saw with his ambition, right? It it seems like it could be, sort of, um, ill-intended ambition, and mm-hmm. you find out that it's not. But like, I don't know. He, I feel like Roy's always on the. It's like he could always kind of go either way. Like he could always kind of stray back to that path, mm-hmm. or just kind of follow his desire for like power, or yeah, get into a position where he's not doing the right thing, which is why he asked Risa to kind of like yeah, continue to watch his back. aware of that, which is why he yeah. yeah yeah but yeah, we talked about it many times where it's kind of, sometimes it seems like his motivation is questionable, which I don't think it's questionable anymore, but it's more like mm-hmm. how how he like uses his powers mm-hmm. and stuff, like things that he's learned and yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it kind of the, proceeds down the path. Mm-hmm. I think in general, even aside from Roy, these chapters show like like just how easily, you know, your average person can do horrific mm-hmm. things yeah. in the right circumstances. Like, yep. Yeah. Totally. Which is, you know, true of any atrocity in war in real life. Like yep. like mm-hmm. you know, wars are started by people in power, but they're carried out by the common man. Like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. Which is, you know, what happened here. It's like the the homunculi um, triggered the initial battle, but it was all these, you know, regular soldiers who carried out all these atro- atrocities over years. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, yep. And the ones who can, are the most, like, scarred and vulnerable from it, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have any other things to discuss, actually. Mm-hmm. How's everyone feeling? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm okay. I feel like I've taken away the things that we need, the messages that we need to be taken away from this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. War is bad. Um, yeah. Don't tattoo your life's research on your daughter's back. Mm-hmm. Um, like, don't make her the gatekeeper of your information. Um, do what you love, like Kimberly. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he respected the Rock Bells for following their their passion, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so follow your passions. No, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I don't know. They're all obviously they're all, you know, deeply hurt and and tormented mm-hmm. by these things. But they're our characters are on a path where they're trying to like make. So things right for mm-hmm. future people so it's kind of nice yeah. actually yeah yeah and in the end uh, i feel good shockingly yeah. <laughs> yeah and i feel like we'll go into this more in the future but like it's interesting how we've seen like different ways that these characters have reacted to the war like in previous yeah. chapters with like mm-hmm. you got like rory and risa who are like very dedicated to changing the country mm-hmm. and then you got marco who basically just wants to like die yeah, in, like in as like to make up for the horrible things he did. Mm-hmm. And you got Knox, he's basically just like, I'm never going to like be close to another human being again. Yeah, so that I don't do anything terrible. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. But I think some of those characters are starting to change. So yeah, yeah. like Knox with all his guests, for example. <laughs> yeah, his guests by force. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knox sleeping on the floor grumbling <laughs> he's like grumbling but then he's like making them porridge and stuff yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway okay well next time I guess uh, next time is our recap so it'll be an interesting topic for sure I think Yay. we've come so far yeah we're slightly more than halfway through the series yeah but I mean it's just like things are so different than they used to be mm-hmm. so that'll be an interesting discussion and again if you're listening to this April 3rd. You still have time to send us questions. So mm-hmm. send us questions for discussion and we'll or, chat it up. Yeah. Or early morning. Oh, no. April 3rd. Yeah. yeah or early morning on the April 4th. 4th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you just, if it's like before noon on April 4th, and then you, you didn't you'll stop probably during it. our first warning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now it's, now it's noon on April 4th. <laughs> you listened all the way through the night. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, or if you can't think of something right now when you need to lay in bed and think about it at night and then send us a question before noon on April 4th and we'll, we'll, pro- we'll get it by then for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, send us your questions by April 3rd, ideally. <laughs> yep. Yep. It'll be. I'm excited. It'll be an interesting chat. I'm sure because I think mm-hmm. we have a lot of, a lot of ground that we can cover. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, sixty-one chapters of ground. Jeez. <laughs> and only sixty-one more to go, or whatever. Forty. Forty. No, fifty-ish. 50 something. Fifty something. Yeah. Fifty-six. It's one hundred eight, right? One ten. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred eight. Fifty. Forty-seven. <laughs> Forty-seven. <laughs> wow. Uh, so we're pretty far in, actually. Yeah more than half so yeah the halfway point was like was you told us something awful happened it was kind of in the middle of something wasn't it when ling like turned a degree or whatever i think it was i think it was like right oh, by after. the way this is halfway <laughs> yeah. point we're like no <laughs> at least i was like no <laughs> yeah we were still in the middle of a lot of stuff so 
yeah. this is a better, a better stopping point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's a good stopping point because it's kind of like we've seen how everybody kind of came to be the way they are now. So mm-hmm. I think it's a good point to discuss what we're doing going or like kind of uh, everywhere that we've been so far. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So, yeah, should be fun. Uh, what are we reading next time? Yeah, after Just that, it'll two? be, uh, yeah, 62 and 63. But cool. um, I'll remind everyone of that after our special episode. <laughs> oh, right. If you want to read ahead. A week off. <laughs> we have a week off of reading new things. New yeah. horrible things. <laughs> all right, good. All right. Uh, thank you all for listening to all this horribleness. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next time. See you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.